we have, you have to stop. If you're in a victim mindset, you can never grow. Hmm. You can't, you cannot grow when you're perpetually placing the blame for everything that is happening in your life off onto other people. Whoever might hear this podcast that is in an impoverty situation, because I've been in poverty. I mean, I, and I, like, I know deep poverty and I know the pain and the struggle of that. Like for real, it ain't, it ain't fake for me. It ain't like I was a middle-class person and I'm trying to get clout, you know, like I know what it is like to literally like walk ditches for cans or dig through trash cans for cans or go and, you know, try to like pick up, pick up furniture on the side of the road and then go try to like hustle or sell it for, you know, a little bit of money here. Hey, people, my name is Katie Friesen, and you're listening to Humans of the World podcast. Essentially, <laughs> you're listening to my personal conversations uh, with people I find incredibly interesting from around the world, different perspectives, or unique <laughs> walks of life, shall we call them. Definitely go to my website and subscribe because I will send cool exclusive things to anyone who subscribes on the website, which is www.katiefriesen.net slash podcasts. That's K-A-T-I-E-F-R-I-E-S-E-N dot net slash podcasts. So check it all out. You can also find Humans of the World podcast on all social media. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being great. And I hope you enjoy this next conversation. Today's conversation is with Matthew Coderre. Matthew was born in Des Moines, Iowa. He grew up in poverty, and his mom and dad were drug addicts, and his friends were in gangs. He lived in the projects, often in trap houses, and was next-door neighbors with a big-time meth dealer. Matthew joined the Marines when he was 17. When he was 21, he got to a pretty dark place mentally. He got fired from his job, and it was at this point in his life he started a journey of self-discovery and self-awareness that changed his life. He started getting into yoga and meditation, unpacking the memories of his past. This also led him on an entrepreneurial path. Currently, Matthew has his own yoga studio uh, in Des Moines, Iowa, but is relocating to Nashville, where he will continue his practice. Uh, me and Matthew knew each other from an online entrepreneurial get-together, um, and I heard a bit of Matthew's story. It's pretty impactful. This guy has a very interesting story and a very strong mindset, which has led to a lot of the success in his life. Uh, I enjoyed the, the conversation with Matthew. He's a cool guy. Uh, it was fun talking with him. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. How are you? <laughs> I'm really good. I'm, I'm really good. Um, a lot has happened since the last, you know, since our first conversation. Where are you right now? You're in? Right now I'm in Des Moines, Iowa for okay. the next couple months. Um, and I'm just kind of preparing to move to Nashville, Tennessee. Ah, what, how come, how come the move? Uh, you know, while li I've lived in Iowa, Iowa's technically been my home for all my life. And there's a number of like really amazing reasons why I'm prompted to move right now. One being um, the experience and the excitement of being alone in a fresh new place. Mm -hmm. You know, where everything's new, everywhere I go here now, presently, you know, I have, I've got hundreds of memories attached to pretty much every street corner, you know, so, um, which, which brings about, a, you know, a lot of familiarity and a lot of comfort, but 
with growth and for those like for myself where I'm really, really seeking to grow and to expand, then being in situations where that creative part of my mind and the unfamiliarity um, is, is so important for breaking out of your current level and stepping into that next level. Let's hop into to your life and your experiences uh, a little more. Yeah. So, well, I've grown up in Iowa my whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my mother was 15 years old when she had me. Um, she's the uh, a daughter of a single mother household. Her dad had like abandoned her really young when she, so she never seen her dad her whole life. Mm-hmm. Like, I think maybe she's seen him once. Um, uh, they, both her and my dad grew up in neighboring small towns. And my dad um, had an exceptionally abusive father, like exceptionally abusive father. And um, then at childhood, he had kind of had some really um, traumatic events happen to him too. Like he had accidentally shot and killed his best friend in a hunting accident. And then his best friend in high school died of leukemia. And then he was in a, a car accident where the driver like, hit and killed an entire family in a car accident and all this happened to him before the age of 18 while having this father that was like physically and verbally abusive like my grandfather was such a miserable man that when he died I felt no emotions over him dying Mm -hmm. none no sense of loss no remorse over his passing no longing to spend more time with him in fact, if anything, it was a, a great relief. Like, oh, ugh, thank God. Like, I don't got to, I don't ever got to hear this guy again. Like, yeah. that's how miserable he was. That was what he gave the world. He gave the world misery and problem. And then in turn, all of his children, they're all fucked. All of my aunts, mm-hmm. all of my uncles, all of them, everybody is psychologically unstable to some degree or emotionally unstable to some degree. Nearly all of their children, I would say, are, are, they're definitely not living pleasant, exuberant lives. And many of them are massively addicted to drugs or substances or on their way to like, just, um, well, not, not so like enjoyable lives, you know? And, um, and then, so like growing up in this, in this kind of environment, my, my parents, they didn't have like support for their young marriage. They got pregnant really young. My dad being 17, my mom being 15. And then them having me when, right when my, my parents' birthdays are like really close together. And then them having me right after they both had turned to 18 and 16. Wow. So, you know, uh, an 18 year old abuse victim and a 16 year old, you know, um, uh, you know, I guess like a, abuse, neglect, you know, and like, um, they, they just like, they didn't have time to develop or heal themselves before they got thrust into the responsibility of parenthood. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I've discovered about humans is that where, where we're incapable of creating lasting pleasantness for ourselves, we will intuitively seek pleasure as a substitute for lasting pleasantness. Hmm. Like the quick fix versus solving the root of the problem. Yes. Yeah. So we'll sort like, and we do that through, uh, you know, uh, activities. Like we try to distract mm-hmm. ourselves with activities. Like, oh, let's go play frisbee or oh, let's go play basketball. Like we, we, we will distract a lot. You know, a lot of folks will 
you know, um, and there is some like with physical exercise, there's some real benefit there, right? But also we all know people that are using physical exercise as a perpetual mechanism of distracting themselves from doing the deeper work they need to do. You know, and that can start really early. You know what I'm saying? That can start really early depending upon, you know, the environment that a person grew up in. But, um, you know, we're, we're not necessarily responsible for the situations that were dealt, but, but we will be responsible for changing them. Mm-hmm. You know, we will be like at some stage in our life, we, we like the buck, the, it'll be passed. You can't, you won't mm-hmm. be able to sit back and say, you know, you, I, I'm a kid or I didn't have this power or whatever, you know, especially once we start to reach our adulthood, it really becomes our responsibility to take our lives into our own hands and Mm -hmm. to make, to make better choices, you know? And so my parents were doing the best that they knew how to do, but life was way harder in the eighties and early nineties. Like, look at us, we're on a podcast right now on a supercomputer. Yeah. You know, they didn't have that stuff, you know? So you think about how hard it was to get access to programs, to get access to education, you know, to get anywhere, right? Like, it was just way harder. So uh, the, the struggle of life and living was harder. And then not to mention now, like as a young mother, like the stress of raising this newborn baby, I know was just over pressuring my mom's heart to such a degree that, you know, like her needs for pleasantness started finding expression how most American people do. It, like they drink alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. Or they smoke marijuana right? They're doing, they're doing something to solace their emotions versus confronting the root of the emotion or taking action in such a way that they're going to resolve the internal emotion because they've, they've empowered themselves through a skill or through an ability, Hmm. you know? And so she, she did that a little bit, you know, and then um, wasn't, wasn't doing the internal work on herself at a rate fast enough before the drugs and the, the alcohol and the drug usage had, was taking effect, you know, mm-hmm. like the moment you start having a dependency on that. So now you can run to it. Now, you know it. And then once your body's taken in the substance too, now your body starts to crave it no different than a cigarette because the body has its own, its own forms of communication back to the brain. So now it's your, your comfort. So, and, and not only is it, is it comfortable, but it's an easy pathway. You know, it works to some degree for a moment temporarily. Hmm. Right. And when you were young, younger, how did all of this affect your internal state? Like what was your internal state growing up? Well, you know, internally, um, I was a very quiet, I was a very quiet kid. Very, mm-hmm. I've always been very, um, you might say well-behaved, you know, I could entertain myself. Um, I would spend hours and hours alone in my own imagination. Or, um, I used to hand copy whole encyclopedias by hand. <laughs> like I'd recopy the encyclopedia. <laughs> so, you know, I did a lot of things, but I was very, very, very perceptive. Like I always knew when shit was fucked up around me. Even at a a super young age, super young, early, young, even like some of my earliest memories are like 
feeling the pain of my mother at the checkout counter of the grocery store, like uh-huh. feeling, feeling her emotional pain. Like I can remember like lifting my head up over the, you know, like the little conveyor belt yeah. for your groceries. You know, yeah. I remember lifting my head up, like looking down and I could, I could look up at her and I could feel her like in a, in a total fucking panic. Like, oh my God, am I going to have enough money? Like running through the math in her head and, uh, and then like uh, a reactionary pattern of probably, you know, a number of things like shame and guilt. Like here I am responsible for this like life. I'm not doing a great job as a parent or whatever it was that she was thinking. And I, and, and uh, I had this immediate longing to, to help her to not suffer. Wow. I just wanted her to not suffer. Like is some of my earliest memories are, are of, of not wanting human beings to suffer. Aww. You know, uh, and so, you know, I think every child that grows up, if they really look at their childhood, like even if you're like, because we grew up in, I grew up in like real poverty, like we've can hunted for a box of macaroni and cheese, you know, like it's uh, both of my parents are, um, you know, technically homeless right now you know like they're both still addicted to drugs and we can go into that but so we've there's been this cycle of poverty for a long time generationally within my family and um those kind of environments like they're not they're not all not everything about them all the time is bad why why do you say that you know that's well i mean there's statement yeah i mean um I mean, shit, like, dude, you get a lot of freedom. Uh, you know, I've you heard get that. a lot of, you know, you get a, you get a lot of freedom when, uh, when you're a kid, you get a lot of freedom to go out, you get a lot of freedom to make mistakes and learn on your own, you know, um, you, you know, and, and in the, and at the time, some of it seems exciting, you know, you feel like an adult bigger than what you are. You're like, oh shit, like I'm around this person and like, they're drinking a 40 and like smoking some shit, you know? And like, I'm here with all the adults, you know? Mm. And like, uh, there's, there's women around and skimpy clothes and, you know, everybody's running and playing and you feel, you kind of feel cool being out with the big people, Mm. you know, like some, sometimes it feels really fun. Sometimes you're like, oh yeah. And sometimes even the drama feels fun. Oh yeah, yeah, go fuck that dude up. Yeah, what's up? Okay, yeah, you're gonna get him, you know, like, and you get into it a little bit, you know, and it becomes an interesting culture where you even start celebrating at times the struggle. And why why is that? Why why do people celebrate the struggle? Well, I think again, I, I from my experience, I guess I would say I think because like we're all human beings really want us pleasantness. Hmm. Like we really, we really desperately want pleasantness. So at all times, every human being is just seeking how to create pleasantness for themselves. So this would be the brain's way of, I guess, rationalizing the situation to, to make it pleasant to some degree, right? To make it a win. Yeah, I think it's, you could, yeah, that would be a a great description. It's them. It's their, uh, their way at that moment of attempting to make whatever situation that they're in pleasant you know and sometimes it then it feeds the identity you know it feeds the it feeds whatever identities that they're holding that could be a possibility too right you know but these kinds of pleasures and pleasantnesses they never last 
they're only lived for, they're not sustainable. They're only little, you know, flash heaters in the pan. You feel them for a second and then they're gone. And then they're usually replaced by some even worse misery. Is that why you think, is that part of the reason why you think, I guess the, the poverty cycle continues to go on just because it's chasing these flashes of. Yeah. Yeah. that's part of it. I mean, it's a deeper thing. I think, I feel like, you know, some of it is, is like our government does such a great job at fucking disempowering people and Mm -hmm. making them believe a victim narrative and then utilizing um, government institutions as weapons of disempowerment for people in poverty, while at the same time claiming to be your fucking friend. Let's dive into that. Let's unpack that a little bit more. It's funny. Yeah, because I'm a, I, yeah, it, it, it's fucked from the floor up, you know, because a lot like think about a lot like a lot of people that go into government work want to be cogs in the machine, really. Like the, it's, it's not typically passion driven work, mm-hmm. you know, and then a lot of times when you're in government work, too, like you're working with human beings a lot of times that are not putting a conscious effort into evolving themselves. Like when you're in survival mode. I see evolving yourself doesn't even fucking come into your brain right when, like, when the survival mechanism is on because the only thing you're thinking about is how do i make it through this fucking day how do i make it through this week how do i get this rent money how do i put food on the table how do i get enough money to put into my gas tank to get from where i, I am right now to across town to my job you know and then a lot of times these folks are you know working jobs that you know they're not passionate about it's not setting their heart on fire so they're not giving their best right so then they're not bringing something of value to an employer in a way that they can then receive a higher note they don't know what their value is Mm -hmm. they don't you know and then a lot of times maybe some of them don't really have skills you know they don't have skills to take care of themselves and then we have uh, government officials and bureaucrats that continuously force feed a narrative that you should just continue to be a fucking victim. So go into that. And I say that I say that with passion because like yeah. we have you have to stop. If you're in a victim mindset, you can never grow. Hmm. You can't you cannot grow when you're perpetually placing the blame for everything that is happening in your life off onto other people. Hmm. And so, (laughs) you know, you you can't. And the thing is, is the only way and 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 whoever might hear this podcast that is in an impoverty situation, because I've been in poverty. I mean, I and like I know deep poverty and I know the pain and the struggle of that. Like for real, it ain't it ain't fake for me. It ain't like I was a middle class person. I'm trying to get clout, you know, like I know what it is like to literally like walk ditches for cans or dig through trash cans for cans or go and, you know, try to like pick up pick up furniture on the side of the road and then go try to like hustle or sell it for you know a little bit of money here or whatever or buying like saving up scrapping money to to scrounging money to buy a 250 and fifty car you know having your car parked for fucking four weeks because you don't even have any money to put any gas in it you know living living in projects living on people's couches um i i know food stamps i know all of i know social welfare you know, I grew up with a single mother and most of the narratives that are being pro- proposed to poor people are, are being spoken by people that don't know fucking poverty at all. 
They're like, they're upper they're upper class people with a need to feel virtuous. Hmm, interesting. So, what would be an example of like a narrative, or what would be example? Well, of like you know, I th- I I I think like narratives that tell uh-huh. people like you can't do it, and here's why. Hmm. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Anytime you hear that, you can't do it, and here's why. Wherever that's coming from. That person is a problem. And we can would... do we can do anything that we put our focus and attention on. We put people on the moon. Now I know there are people that are gonna be out there like, bro, the moon landing was fake, bro. <laughs> Flat Earth, bro. You know. <laughs> you know, I know somebody's gonna say that, but like, what, what? You know, in either case, we at least have satellites in orbit. You know, like for those po- people out there, you know, whatever you're thinking, you at least have an iPhone, and you don't even need to go to the moon to see. Just look at the pyramids, yeah. right? Look at some of the temples in India. These people lived in huts for Christ's sake, mm-hmm. and yet they woke up and built structures. Like most people now can't even answer their email. Could you imagine if you put if if you put you know a ton of people that live like we live like kings mm-hmm. like back then people didn't have the amenities that they have now they lived in huts most of the time with like dirt packed floors they would often have to bring their livestock into their home with them to keep the livestock from freezing or being eaten by like cow or by uh, predator animals or whatever and yet these people still went out and managed to create some of the most beautiful structures that human beings have ever seen that have lasted for thousands of years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So clearly to me, something of the divine must have touched them. Something, something grand would have had, but these people lived, people, human beings lived much closer in alignment with actual nature. Like we're, we live in a cocoon of our own creation. Okay, let's, let's step back. Hold up. Before, before I ask a question about that, it, let me go back. So, cause I want to understand more. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Right. I'm, I'm learning through this. So what were things like if, whatever, if you would go to the government or something like the, the common thing was just, you were always told you couldn't do it. Or well, what, I mean, kind of dig more into the narrative that well, gets it's not even government. just, well, if we'll look at our politicians, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at politicians at any stage in American history, there's typically one side trying to push you towards empowerment, one side trying to push you towards disempowerment, mm-hmm. or we should say, let's take it better. There, there are individuals <laughs> that are attempting to push you towards empowerment, not sides, right? Because it doesn't matter the side, right? like there are individuals that are attempting to push you towards empowerment and then there are individuals that are attempting to push you towards disempowerment Mm -hmm. usually the ones that are attempting to push you towards disempowerment they value they have value invested in you being disempowered they don't want you to know they don't want you to take care of yourself they they want you to have to suckle off of their power teat so that they can maintain their power so that they can maintain their power, mm-hmm. right? I mean, think, think about how much a technical slave labor we have in the United States, Yeah. right? Yeah. And, right. And, and, and the disproportionate, like the way, 
And, and so now the thing is you start empowering people with an education. You tell people, hey, you know what? You don't have to be an employee. You could actually be an entrepreneur and here's how. Right. And here's all the mechanisms and ways in which you can learn how to provide value and acquire customers and, and provide a product or a service and then retain that customer. Do you think it's intentionally malicious or do you think it's, you know, maybe intentions well, that aren't fully thought through intentions and, and incentives that aren't thought, thought through? Or what, what do you think the, the root issue is? Do you think it's really like. I really think that we have to we have to look at history a lot uh -huh. if we want to understand where we are presently. Mm -hmm. And we have to do our best to look at history objectively and think about, well, what what were these people really after at the time period? And we, ha we have to do this with empathy and understanding as well for everybody. Mm -hmm. right? I think it's very important to look at history through empathetic eyes and understanding eyes. And um, one, so that we don't hate people of the past. I think that that's really important. I think hate is a disease and it's very easy if you start playing a present moment victim to people of the past, right? And again, I'm not saying that the situation that we're in, it was our fault, mm -hmm. but it's our responsibility to correct it, isn't it? Like as a generation of people, isn't it our, like regardless of what happened before us, it's our responsibility to do our best to create the world that we desire to live in, that we desire to be in right yeah it's just taking again responsibility ownership boom right? mm -hmm. and we can't do that if everybody's running around saying i can't do that because it xyz's fault or you know you mm -hmm. see what i'm saying you can't take responsibility while you're displacing responsibility right and you're saying just the narrative that's being pushed out is is allocating responsibility to other people other things, and it, and, it, other and it's and it's disempo it's disempowering you from being able to take action on the things that you can actually take action on that will radically improve the quality of your life immediately. So what would you kind of propose? So like what would have helped I guess in in your situation what what should have been done, right? Like what in your hypothetical world what should the government do maybe should the government shouldn't be involved or I guess what would be the narrative you'd push well I guess I know the narrative but how would you I think the, I, I think I think the less the less government the better yeah I'm with the you, less, that. The, 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 you know the less the government is trying yeah. to interfere with my life the better right yeah. and I you know so um I think that that is really I do I do appreciate like I I will not lie and say that like I don't think that there should be social programs I do think that there should be social I think as a society especially an affluent society there should be a sense of but I think it, I think we should evolve as human beings to the point where as human beings we collectively desire to uplift the folks that are struggling in their life does that make sense like not necessarily through government mandate, but out of the out of the, uh, of the out of the abundance of one's own heart. Yeah, you know. Imagine if you had two hundred and fifty million out of the three hundred some odd million Americans that really longed to uh, not live in a state of competition, but live in a state of like, well, it can be me and you. Yeah. Well, I think that there are a lot of people, but I think that I think similar to your or what you had mentioned is like a lot of the people that want to help, maybe they have never really, I guess, empathized or taking the time to understand. So a lot of the ways that they're trying to help are actually hurtful. Like for example, social, pro like, again, I agree with social programs as well. I just think that sometimes the incentives aren't great. So it's like, here's a good 
idea here's like someone trying to help or something but i guess it yeah it's hurtful I, right i think i think that like so there's that old saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions <laughs> yeah and yeah. and that's part of what we're facing is mm-hmm. is a lot of folks are they're well intended like their hearts mm-hmm. are in the right place it's just the mechanisms that they're using to solve the problem are often not effective and then when you attempt to because it's of their own creation they defend the mechanism as if they're defending their own life mm-hmm. and so then they're ready to destroy you when when maybe there needs to be a replacement of the mechanism i also think that there's mm-hmm. there's a real problem with people that have made it from poverty where they don't go back and tell other people in poverty how they did it. Oh, interesting. Interesting. You know, I, that's a that's a really big prop. Why isn't Jay-Z and Beyonce literally doing everything in their power to tell everybody in the neighborhoods that they grew up in how they were able to afford one of the most expensive cars on the planet? Mm-hmm. Because it's more than just being able to sing and rap. It's mm-hmm. a lot more than that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or yeah. a number of other folks, not even if it's a, if it's just like the, the, the money and success that comes from celebrity, because there are so many ways in which uh, individuals can earn, earn a living. And I think when we're referencing poverty right now, like we need to empower folks to be able to earn a sustainable living for themselves. So what would you, if you went back to your neighborhood or if you like, what would you say? How would you well, do, first what thing, would you do? Oh man, first thing I would be is like, y'all gotta get <laughs> y'all gotta get clear and clean, first of all. Mm-hmm. You you gotta stop fucking drinking. You gotta stop smoking. Because mm-hmm. every fucking ounce of energy and time that you've invested into smoking and drinking is time that you could have been writing your goals, is time that you could have been reading a book, is time that you could have been listening to a podcast, is time that you could have been out networking or prospecting. Mm-hmm. Right. So step one, don't get addicted, get clean and clear. So whatever it takes to get clean and clear. So then they need, they need to know how to eat. Our food system is poisoning people. Mm -hmm. And so most people's brains are broken because they've spent a lifetime being poisoned by processed and fast food. Hmm. But that's the power of marketing that we're not taught. And we don't, I don't think like the world or the community is genuinely taught like how business works. You know what I'm saying? But marketing is so powerful that every child on the planet can tell you that the human body seeks oxygen and yet they can pump carbon dioxide into water, fill it with sugar and then sell it to you as soda. Hmm. That's how powerful marketing is. And soda is killing this nation. Why, Why are we having such a problem with COVID? Do you know? Because Obesity. people are that healthy, yeah. People are overweight. Yeah. They're undermoved. They're malnourished. They're dehydrated. They're underrested. They're overstressed. Huh. So their immune systems are completely compromised. Why were we? Why were we marketing masks and vaccines, keeping alcohol and tobacco stores yeah. open, and not marketing? Get outside and exercise. Stop eating fast food. Mm -hmm. Get off of the pop. Drink a gallon of water a day. Eat fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables. Like these are the things that we got to start with with our communities because we got to get people's brains and body right. 
if the brain is a little broken, because for now we can't even get into the function of like discovering awareness and meditation, mm -hmm. all that stuff can't even happen until these folks are physically healthy. So is it, so people like the, the knowledge just really isn't there? Like it's or... not, it's not, it is not there. Really? The, the, the education industry, mm -hmm. dairy has bought and paid for so much of what we know about food pyramids and everything. And, and when, like, when are they teaching you about what a macronutrient is and putting an importance on it in such a way in your education period that you understand that you need to eat within a specific caloric framing every day? Not my high school. I didn't learn that. Not, nobody's <laughs> high school. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. you know what I'm saying and people don't know about food they don't know that if they go to McDonald's and get a cheeseburger a fry and a soda for $5.99 that they're probably consuming three quarters of their daily caloric intake if not all of their daily caloric intake in that one single meal yeah well I mean but that that's also the other problem is is shitty food is is a lot more cheaper like healthy food is expensive to buy fruits and vegetables i don't know especially in canada like to buy a cucumber is like a dollar fifty <laughs> like one a hundred percent and so then like but if you're disciplined and this is the truth like we can't play the victim right mm -hmm. because they're just making money they're gonna change the way they do business if we change the way we spend money mm -hmm. right because i mean if we don't spend the, the, yeah they'll change mm -hmm. they, they are they are their god is money they're ruled by it hmm. wherever the money goes they'll go what's your what's your opinion on a capitalistic system i'm into it capitalism has poured pulled more people out of poverty than any other system that's been created yet Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there would be no upward movement for a guy like me in a socialist situation or a communist situation. I would be so fucked. I'd be put into an, uh, practically indentured servitude my entire life. Like, no, uh, it's because of capitalism that I've been able to develop the skills and the abilities to pull myself out of poverty. Now, I'm not, I'm not by any means in like, let's say like the middle class yet. Um, you know, but what I am is I'm not in the, I can't take care of myself from month to month class. Hmm. And I'm like working so passionately to continue to develop those skills because it is a skill. It's a skill. Mm -hmm. And like, once you have it, and if you're really willing to put in the work, just like getting fit, then anybody, anybody can make, can make a living. Really, we can in a capitalism capitalistic society the possibility for all of us to earn a living is there the possibility is there will we all execute it on it now that's our choice when you know did you in your experiences um when did you i guess make that choice or when did what what kind of change for you or what switch for you or or you always have this mentality or kind of Take me no, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm really lucky in that, like, I got fired from a job and, you know, like when I was um, probably 20 years old, maybe, yeah, 20, maybe 21, you know, I think I would have been 21, actually. I'm 35. So this was a little bit ago, but um, I had just, 
I was in a deep state of like suicidal depression because I didn't know some of these things that I knew now. I didn't, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that I was choosing my internal world. Hmm. I didn't realize that like, yes, all these things were happening to me, but like I could choose, I could choose to be different internally. You know, most of my suffering was there simply because I wanted my life to be different than how it was. You desired something else. You weren't yeah, like, or I, I thought, or I thought it should have been different. You know, like I wanted my mom to not use drugs, but she used drugs. Mm-hmm. So then I suffered. Does that make sense? I created suffering for myself. I see. You know what I'm saying? I wanted my dad to not have a brain injury, you know, but he had a brain injury and, and, and couldn't father me, couldn't parent me as a dad. You know, uh, he, he had a car accident when I was 11 that nearly killed him. And um, it, it left him with a permanent brain injury, you know, and, and um, that was one of my first moments when I realized that personality was changeable because who my dad was prior to the car accident was completely different than after the car accident. He came out a completely different person. Wow. You and know, so that um, this job that I had, like, I mean, it paid, I think it paid like 12 bucks an hour. Um, at the time I was driving this truck and it got like maybe like 15, 16 miles to the gallon. And so like, you know, working 40 hours a week, um, I just like, I, I never had any, any money to ever like get, get my head above water, but I'd work like 40 hours a week. And the work, the work was so like not in alignment with my own heart. Mm-hmm that it was so difficult for me every day that I went. And I thought it was my only option for a long time. Like I was like, you know, who's going to, how do, you know, I didn't think I had a way out. Was so that because perceptions. Wait, you didn't think you had a way out? Is that because of a self-esteem thing at the time? Or was that because of just, you don't know what you don't know. You didn't know there was other options or it was like, I'm not, I know there's other options out there, but I don't think that I have the abilities or would, I don't think I'll be hired or whatever it is. It was a combination. It was a combination of a lack of, a, of skills and abilities that then fueled um, a low self-esteem, mm-hmm. right? And, and you know, uh, no self, no, no esteem. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need any, you know, so that, but I had yeah. a very low self-image at the time, you know, like in, in, a, in a lot of different ways. And, and that was built around memories of my experiences and then the way in which I was interpreting those experiences as I was going through them you know and a lot of them not even shaped by my home life but a lot of them shaped by my educational experience you know teachers well you know like I moved a lot so then like when you move a lot you're not really in a steady state to like learn and 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 grow and and go through academics in a very linear fashion how the system is set up you know and um I actually think that I have some form of like rare genius that gets mistaken as a type of learning disability. Okay. You know, like you imagine, like if you were to have Elon Musk, he's, he doesn't look like a normal dude. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you listen to Rogan podcast at all, but I don't know if you listen to the, the podcast with Musk and, and Rogan. <laughs> I haven't yet, but I yeah. like both. I like both guys, Musk yeah. and, and and Rogan. I've seen clips, you know, like clips yeah. online, but I haven't gotten to sit through the full thing yet. But yeah. but I really like Elon. 
I get Elon in a big way. You know, I really, I really get uh, a lot. I don't know him personally, so I only get what he presents. Right. But like, we can't hide all parts of ourselves for those who have eyes to see. Mm. And, and there are really beautiful qualities in Elon, but I would imagine that like in some ways, you know, like I had a, a, a gift that was often mistaken as a learning disability. And so then I got put into like real special needs classes with kids that were like, you know, um, you know, below, below developmental learners. Maybe some of them had like, you know, actual mental handicaps and such. And so um, that was discouraging. I was often separated from, you know, the sort of like general population. And then I'd had a few experiences with some like physically and verbally abusive teachers when I was a kid uh, that like I, I was um, also a little of a rebellious. I was rebellious too at times. And it was like, if you weren't going to give me any attention or actually show that you cared about me learning the information then I just mm. I wasn't going to try for you so I had a so I I went through high school you know pretty much a DNF student until I went to an alternative high school and uh like they sent me to a high school for like basically bad kids you know kids that get in fights and don't do their schoolwork and and stuff like that you know and and I was on like you know the the government food programs that they do for high schools I always get like the little lunch punch card and stuff you know and so that made me uh an object for bullying against kids that had like more money and I wasn't standing for that shit when I was a kid and I was ready to scrap with anybody that wanted to try to hurt me emotionally or physically or, you know so like it, I was I was kind of ready to go and then once I went to that school and I started getting like actual empathy and understanding from my teachers um I went from being a dnf student to a straight a student wow like like literally like that dnf to straight a's and the only and thing that, the only thing that really changed between those two was the perception teachers had of you or the, the way that the teachers. Yeah. And then, and the relationship that I held with the teachers. Hmm. Wow. You know, like the, the people that were offering the guidance. And so then um, I graduated early. I was offered a scholarship and stuff, but um, I, w I went on to, to join the Marines at 17. That's a long story. We won't go super deep there, but <laughs> I joined the Marines at 17 um, you know, and then, but like a culmination of my life experience was like hitting a, a real like pivotal fork in the road in my early twenties in which, you know, certain experiences was really, really leading me. Um, and, and my inability to know how to manage them, to know how to like view them and interpret them because I didn't know anything about my own system at the time. Like keep in mind before, before I went on this own journey of self-discovery, I was just living life and reacting to it. And I was doing my best to learn about how to live based upon the best examples that I could be attracted to, you know? So that might be like Will Smith, you know, like he was a huge inspiration for me as a kid, you know, love that guy, you know, I was super inspired by him, but then I was also deeply inspired by guys like 50 Cent, guys that had that gritty, grimy, don't even think about, you know, fucking with me without some shit gonna mm -hmm. happen you know because I needed that to survive some of the situations that I was exposed to growing up in the in the elements that I grew up in you know like it is it is a survival skill what like 
would you be comfortable sharing some of those experiences? Like what, like growing up? I mean, mm-hmm. most of it just involves like how to, how to obtain power around other men, you know, like in like positions of like respect, how to give respect, how to gain respect, how to fight if need be, how to command presence, you know, and like, it's a completely different code of ethics at that level than as you start moving it, some of the same strategies are being applied at higher and higher levels. They're just much more subtle, much more conniving and not so in your face. Hmm. But a lot of the same like grimy, gritty, you know, strategies are being applied at like different levels, you know, and and I think, and it has to do in my experience, it has to do with how evolved that human being is within themselves. You know, so, um, so fighting was a really big, a really, really big, um, thing for me. And it became a passion. Like I, I actually like, I had to fight so that like, I wouldn't, I mean, cause there's always a bigger, badder dude than you in the hood. You know what I'm saying? But usually what makes you, um, you know, like you either, then, then you can either very easily become prey all the time and then you hide like, you know, people that like, don't know how to like stick up for themselves or, or whatever, they become like easy targets, easy victims. And then they just kind of like hide or, or shy away or shelter away. And then some people, you know, like they start to, you push back against the grain, you know, you try to command some type of presence and then hopefully, you know, hopefully you don't start selling drugs or doing anything stupid or doing drugs yourself before you've got time to actually get out and make some real skills. But we're all listening to fucking rap music you know we all want you know we all want the cars and the clothes and the bitches and the good times and the popping bottles and the clubs and and we want like motherfuckers to fear us because it's all survival mindset you know like it's all power and like survival power and and procreation so that's why like you would pick on the like what what's in the mindset of of the big like the head honcho in the the hood going after the prey because it's respect it's because they want power it's because why they want they want power mo, mo, uh, you know and so like an altruism in a lot of ways like uh it doesn't always happen in the hood you know like things are not altruistic deals you know a lot of a lot of deals are like sneaky you know cutthroat say something to your face do something later hmm. you know so usually that life catches up, it catches up to people, you know, but it's glorified, you know, it's glorified, it's glorified to do drugs, it's glorified to rob, it's glorified to, you know, like in some ways the street life is glorified in our art right now, presently, especially our music, mm-hmm. you know, but there's nothing glorious about the street life. If the street life was actually fucking glorious, why is everybody so desperate to get out of it? Mm-hmm. And then why in the fuck are these millionaires continuing to rap about shit that they don't even live anymore? It's like, it's all, oh, it's real funny that you go back to the hood and fucking play around, you know, a little bit on the weekends and then go to your gated, go back home to your gated community with your guards at the door. If, so if there was like rappers that make it out of the hood, why, I guess, why would you, I guess it's because that's how they got it to be a millionaire. Like, why would they continue it's, perpetuating the same? I guess messaging that there's, keeps people down. A bit. Well, one you can, 
they've figured out how to make money off of it and they probably right. haven't figured out how to pivot and make money in a different way. Got it. Right. So they're still trying to keep their revenue streams going. Right. That's a big part of it. Right. Like, and maybe at the time when they're first initially rapping, they're rapping authentically and truthfully about where their present moment experience is. Mm-hmm. But then when they get older, they don't pivot. They don't transition into something different, but they got to keep selling. They got to keep rapping about what sells because that's how they make their money. Are there any rappers that you respect that you have seen pivoted? Oh yeah. 50 cent, dude. I love 50. I love 50. Every, I think, I think every, like, I think every kid that grows up in poverty should, should um, explore 50 cents life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think that, you know, like whether you agree with everything about him or not, he is a fascinating human being. And what he's been able to accomplish is, is a, is a, a, a textbook. Like, I mean, there is so much there about uh, humility and ability to pivot and self-awareness. Like most people don't know that dude don't even drink. He don't drink. He don't smoke. He don't nothing because he, he wanted to be clear. He was just like me. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I don't do nothing because he understood something too. Like I understand you ain't getting out of that life unless you are always a hundred percent on top of your game. It is, it is a hard push to get out of that world. And not only did that dude get out of, out of that world, but he became one of the, you know, the, the most popular musical artists of all time and has pivoted into movies and has pivoted into, um, you know, uh, television series and stars. He's produced other rappers. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. his books are really, are really neat. And if you read them in chronological order, it's kind of fun to see him go through his, his evolution uh, as a human being. So I like, I like 50 Cent. I like 50 a lot. I mean, I should say like, I should say in that, like, I respect him. Mm-hmm. I respect what he's done because I know what he's had to go through. That motherfucker got shot nine times. It's crazy. You know, and like a lot of people don't even know what it is like to have somebody genuinely want to kill you. You know, like, like we got a lot of people talking about trauma because their parents didn't pay him enough attention and didn't come to their, you know, sweet 16. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's. It's so interesting. And this is why I'm so thankful, like for you um, and some other people I've had conversations with to share their experiences, because like in my world, it's like it's like you see movies, right? And you'll see like like they'll show people's lives in movies, but you you don't really get a sense of it. Oh, it's actually real. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so it's crazy. Like this is someone's reality. Right. My reality was so different. So, so, so different. Right. And so it's it's almost unfathomable thinking like that's how i feel about rich people Hmm. like my present like my present condition like i'm i'm actively looking to expose myself to wealth at the highest degrees because i can't paint any neural network patterns as to what that looks like like really what it feels like what the day-to-day life like how do they live like what do they really feel how do they respond to this you know what I'm saying? Like, how do they actually keep and maintain this? Not just like tactically, but there has to be a psychological and an emotional component that is involved. How do they experience having that much? Like, what does having that much money, how does that influence their interiority? What is the next stage of evolution? You know, like, what? Well, I mean, it's from my observations and, and not saying like, but I guess from being like my family decently well off not not like hugely rich but you know never had to worry about food or anything like that but and I went to a private school so surrounded by people maybe the same but it's like 
uh, for me a lot of what I see is maybe the next evolution is people just seem like they're they have a void like they're just searching for something they're there when you're rich you're, you're seeking pleasure and maybe it's the exact same thing as poor it's just like the pleasure looks something different but at the end of the day I don't see a whole lot of people happy I don't see a whole lot of people blissful with money it's just yeah a different version of seeking to fill the void or the pleasure or whatever yeah and and that's you know that's um that's a hundred percent been my experience as well because again that lasting pleasantness can only be found in here. Nothing out here can actually create the lasting pleasantness. The lasting pleasantness comes here, which is why most of the people I end up working with are, are wealthy individuals that are secretly struggling. And it's not their fault. Hmm. You know, like they were taught that, like, and we all are, like, I, I, um, I'm pursuing, like, financial freedom for myself as, like, a, a as a challenge to putting into like a generational, like generational condition. In addition, mm -hmm. like I wanna be able to utilize those skills to empower other people after me with the tools that have helped me internally. I see. It's quite you know, an admirable like, goal. <laughs> yeah, and, and mm -hmm. money, money, money is the only way that I'm actually gonna be able to like really, really accomplish that on any like real level. Because again, if I have investors, I have to answer to investors. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm raising money, I'm, I'm, I'm answering to donors. Like, I just want to like provide an amazing product value or service to somebody, maybe through developing a software, maybe through, um, you know, uh, learning how to like, you know, I'm just exploring all sorts of different ways of like, actually, because there's so many infinite ways for us to make money, you know, and like, so I want to, I want to do that because then I want to use the profits from that experience to actually, like, I've got a whole cool mission. Like I totally plan on pulling up to like hoods all over the country in a supercar and like giving away books, giving mm -hmm. away, you know, books, books on say stoicism, books on meditation, books on how to set your goals, books on how to uh, transform your internal world books on, on how to become an entrepreneur starting from zero, you know, books. <laughs> That's right. Dame Maxwell, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Because, because those things are so needed and we, and we, and the, and the, the world right now wants heart-based products and services. Mm -hmm. There is a longing for heart-based products and services that is, that is taking place. Mm -hmm. if you put books so right now there's no access like I guess the question is right the internet's I mean my assumption is right the internet's freely available um yeah yeah but they access. don't yeah they need sold mm -hmm. all right so like so right now what's capturing young people's attention is rap videos and only fans Yeah. How would you? Can you hear me? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Can, okay. Mm How'd -hmm. I what? How would you, um, I guess, point people to the right direction, or what would you do, right? Because uh, you got you got to be you got to be it. Mm -hmm. you got to be it you got to live it for sure like for real you got to be a person that they want to be like hmm. 
that's how you that's how you get to them you you got to be the person that they want to be like they got to want they got to want to you got to make yourself in such a way that they 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 want to be around you they want what you got if they don't if there's not a sincere longing for them to want what you got then they won't do what it takes so then i think that like a person like me has a real strong advantage in that like I think I can really blend and walk in both worlds really well between the mystical and the material. Hmm. Like I don't got any problem getting fancy, hopping in a supercar and then going and, you know, spending like three weeks in a mud hut. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I'm, I'm fine in both worlds. Mm -hmm. You know, I've grown up in poverty my whole life. Like I, like I, I know that we come into this world with nothing and we leave with nothing, mm -hmm. but I want to use whatever tool that is available to me to help create lasting pleasantness and an increase in awareness and consciousness for future generations. And, and for my community now, for the people, for the people that are here now, not just the people that are going to come later. I want to do something for them too, but I want, I want other folks to be able to enjoy the fact that they could create a more pleasant experience for themselves now, internally and externally. Because we're not going to get around people's desires to want, you know, a little bit more comfort and convenience externally, mm -hmm. like totally. Mm -hmm. So I think like the strategy that, that I'm seeing that could work potentially, this is what I'm attempting to see. Maybe it fails. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the only solution is, is just to make peace with it completely internally, you know, mm -hmm. but I think if I'm looking at people like, like customers, like all people like customers and like trying to go, okay, well, how do I solve a pain for them? I have to market to them where they are. I have to meet them where they are. I have to find a way to communicate with them where they're at presently right. and then inspire them. And, and, and hopefully, you know, the intention would be that through through that messaging, a certain percentage of those folks will want to, they'll have a sincere longing and desire to take that inward journey. I feel like you have such an amazing opportunity because you can understand, right? And I mean, step one, right? Empathize with your customer. So that's, it's kind of like a superpower that you have, right? Something that's really, really cool and really, really inspirational. Um, I think you're a very inspirational person. <laughs> oh, well, well, I think you're a very inspirational person. And, and for the record too, like, I don't think that anybody like where we're all born, I think we're all, you know, like nobody should ever feel ashamed or guilty for whatever situation that they were, that they happen to be born into. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can't control that. So like, if you were born affluent for anybody who, who reads this, like, good for you you know, and good for your parents for being, you know, being in a position where like they could provide that for you. I would just say, like, if you, if, if you want to help you search for something deeper within yourself, like, especially if you're, if your financial needs are taken care of, right. And you don't actually have to like go out and, you know, earn more money, spend some time exploring life, like figure out what this whole thing is. Like, when was the last time you looked at a tree and really sat down and was like, dude, what is this? You know, like, what is this for real? And go to other places, like make yourself um, uncomfortable by getting into other cultures so that you develop new neural networks, you develop new patterns because you'll have to, 
it will help soften a person's personal likes and dislikes, which helps actually form like like and dislike really helps form the egos like perceived solidity. But you go to a new place, there's none of your favorite foods there, maybe. Right, right. So now you got to compromise. Now you got to go, oh, okay, well, um, I guess I'll have the, how do you pronounce that? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. And then you don't speak the language. And so then hopefully then out of that, a natural sense of reverence and humility will descend upon you. Yeah. And a question, right? You're just questioning. You're just questioning. These beliefs that I've held. It's even interesting, like even within like where I've been in Miami, it's like depending on the the groups that you're involved in, right? You have the hippies, you have the ambitious finance kids, you have the entrepreneurs, you have, and you have like the sportsters, you have the partiers and everyone has like a different subset or culture. And it's like, it's interesting because when you are there and you're surrounded by it, you see the world and what they're, I guess what their goals are, what their missions, and it's a culture of it, right? And so it's cool being in different worlds because then you can kind of question, oh, what do I actually want versus kind of just going along with what everyone else is doing. Yeah, see, that's so cool because like I've I've not had very many of those experiences. Thank you for sharing that. That was that was super awesome. I wouldn't know that that was what it was like in Miami. You know, I wouldn't. Miami's cool. Miami's cool. So I mean, I I was born in Winnipeg. Well, in Neverville. Neverville is a town with. 3,500 people, 4,000 people. Um, and so- No wonder you're so nice. <laughs> thank you, thank you. You're yeah. the nice. <laughs> and I mean, like, so yeah, like I grew up, I mean, pretty pretty easy life. Uh, went to a private school um, and private Christian school. And so you're just sheltered from a lot, right? And you know you're sheltered, 100% you know you're sheltered. But, and you like, you think there's a different world out there, but you don't really know until you've like, talk to someone or had an experience of it so like a lot of things in the world it's just like it's like a movie like oh I don't do people actually live like that no it's like Hollywood or something but when Mm -hmm. you come to Miami it's cool because Miami you have people from everywhere like you have first of all it's mostly Latin so mostly from Cuba um a lot of Venezuelans a lot of Colombians um and then people from the Caribbean people from all over people from Asia people from Europe um and it's cool and I guess that's what was cool about university if you push yourself to go interact with different groups of people because what a lot of people do is like they find their tribe they get comfortable in it which is awesome right because you're finding the people you're finding I guess what you want out of your life but at the same time at some point you just kind of start going with where that tribe's going so like the finance kids like their mentality is so different than the entrepreneurial kids so 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 different so it's it's cool always questioning like is this actually like when you think you have it all figured out you'll meet someone and talk to someone from a completely different like for example I'll talk to you or something or I'll talk to mm, another person and and just completely shatters the perception of the world that you thought that you had yes and so I like those experiences I think are exceptionally priceless and should be consciously crafted like all of us human beings and so that that what you just said is part of what's really prompting me uh to move to nashville Hmm. you know so like i'm wanting to go and just be in that completely new uncomfortable place and like again then too like if you keep if you keep reminding yourself that your internal experience is 100 percent your own making if you go into a new group and you find yourself becoming uncomfortable it's a great opportunity to explore why. 
Mm-hmm. You know, why am I uncomfortable? Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the reasons could be, but what, what is it within me that is making that where I'm experiencing uncomfort now that I'm in this new situation? Mm-hmm. And that's hard. And we can do this in a number of ways, like dancing. You know how many people, <laughs> the moment you even say dance, they go, oh, you know, yeah, especially like, gringos. <laughs> especially gringos (laughs) you know but and think about all of the beauty and the dimensions of life that are being lost and missing simply because you won't allow yourself to explore dance Mm -hmm. and for those those folks who have explored dance especially especially uh dance that is not that and and when I say dance I don't just necessarily mean like formatted dance dance that looks like Chris Brown or dance that looks like a ballet (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm just talking about dancing as a mechanism of not, of, of allowing yourself to unconstipate the life that is within you, to not hold back, <laughs> to let it, to let it come out and to let it be expressed through the body and in this mm-hmm. exuberant format without tightening it back down with the butthole of fear, <laughs> you know, just tightening it down. These metaphors yeah. are, are really descriptive. I'm liking them. <laughs> you know, and because uh, this is something that I discovered, you know, I first discovered it within me. And then I, I looked at humans to see if this was like a universal quality. And the thing is, is there's so much about us that we think is just unique to us that is universal. And then uh, because we don't ever discover what is universal, we, 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 we miss out on the beauty on uh, the, on the fact that there is not one of us that is identical. Mm-hmm. We're all a completely unique happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. So there's no need to even compare because there's nothing that we can compare to because we're all just so uniquely individual. Right. And, and the problem, you know, that ends up arising with comparison is comparison is the seed of jealousy. Hmm. And jealousy is a bitch. jealousy jealousy hurts jealousy is a really painful experience oh go for it yeah or jealousy or envy you know anytime where you feel that somebody has that you are deprived of something that somebody else has you know and there's this quality that happens when a human being is is having a genuine experience of appreciation and gratitude that from my experience, and I'm just going to say, rather than saying God, I'm going to say source of creation. Mm-hmm. Like that feeling of appreciation and gratitude moves you instantaneously closer to the source of creation. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would say with my experiences, I agree with that. And it, it, it's interesting. So I had spent uh, five weeks in Guatemala. Three weeks was in like a, a smaller town like on on the lake um and the guatemalans they're like obviously they don't they don't have a lot um i remember i was talking to my i had like a spanish teacher she was helping me teach spanish i told her i was like oh yeah i'm like gonna go on a flight and then she was telling me that that she wanted to go see her um to go to a wedding right but she had never gone on an airplane and like they didn't know if they could afford it and later on in the conversation she said 
like really in this life here you just have to be super grateful and super thankful she's like because if not you just get frustrated and that puts you behind and it's like the the people there are happy like they're way happier than the people here in america (laughs) people in america are, are miserable right but you go there and like don't have a lot but no problem life is good yeah this, this life is awesome and no one in Guatemala like like none of, none of them want to come to America they're like no no like life here is great why would I want to leave like I can get what I want it's beautiful here I can relax like so it's just grateful and thankful you know yeah that's amazing you know yeah. and like as I hear it kind of intuitively one of the things that's easy that that easily happens when we have affluence is it's easy to hide in pleasure mm-hmm. It's easy to distract in pleasure, especially if you've got money, like, oh my God, you can get a new toy, a new experience, a new something, and you can just keep cocooning yourself in pleasure and never really like facing reality. And then what happens is, is when real reality really hits, it's devastating. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. You know, but for like that lady, so much of her life is probably like exceptionally difficult yeah in comparison you know and she's probably had to learn like because here's the deal does a human because i'll I'll, let's look at it like this does a human being operate at their best when they're blissful or when they're miserable blissful for sure blissful she just told you that she she learned how like life is not teaching us what to do life is teaching us how to be Yeah, but I think so. She learned through those experiences, like frustration. What did she say? She said it set her back. Yeah, it made her worse. Mm -hmm. So she's choosing gratitude as a mechanism to experience her life because she's learned that gratitude is a much more effective mechanism than frustration. But where is the onus of her internal experience being placed in that moment, externally or internally? Internally. <laughs> because we can choose our experience. Mm-hmm. We can't necessarily choose our situation. I agree with you 100%. 100%. You know, and so by, by confronting what we call our ego, which is really just identification with the body and the mind. It's, it's, we, what, and what I mean by that is, is like, we believe, we believe ourselves to be the body and, and, and for, and for good reason, it's not our fault. It's a powerful illusion. <clears throat> Youth is a powerful, powerful, powerful illusion. Youth, you said. Yeah. Youth, youth, youth for most people, you know, I was really fortunate in that. Like I had just sort of exceeded a level of misery and, and, and grace also stepped in and and drove me to something deeper than my body yeah let's go back to that that experience so you were 21 um you had kind of just lost your job or been fired or whatever the situation I, 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 yeah i got fired but i was actively trying to get fired okay. you know what I mean? <laughs> I was somewhere and like i was perpetually late good job when I got there but like I was continuously attempting to push the boundaries to see how much because like I did at the time I didn't have the courage to quit Uh, I see 
So you're just trying to kind of sabotage so that you get fired. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Nice. And so, and then once I got fired, then I, I like, then I, I forced the movement. I was sort of like perpetually burning my boat, you know, like I knew I needed to change, but at the time I didn't have the strength or where, where, um, I can't pronounce that word. Wherewithal. Wherewithal. There you go. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for helping me. Um, I didn't have the strength or the wherewithal to, um, do that internal work and confront how I really felt. Huh. Did you know at that point, it, did you know that you needed to do internal work? No. It's, you stumbled across uh, this by chance kind of thing, by luck or the plan universe, whatever you want to call it. I, well, you know, I did, I guess I didn't, let me, let me really like think of, because I got to think about the time frame. There was a time there was a time where I didn't think I needed to do any internal work at all. I just thought that I was a good person and the world was full of shit people. And if the world could just get on board with not being so shitty, then my life would be fine. Hmm. Like I remember that mindset maybe like, and really that mindset was just the byproduct of my own personal experiences of the people around me. Like it's hard, it's hard to not think that when like your next door neighbor is like, a serious meth dealer mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like out on jail out on our out on parole from uh, uh an attempted murder charge that was dropped to willful injury on a plea deal yeah <laughs> you know like and these and th- th- like this is who i'm going over and like barbecue and chicken and 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 box <laughs> macaroni and cheese with and he's teaching me about the differences between pink dope and blue dope. Yeah, your, your experiences yeah. growing up were a lot different than mine. <laughs> you know, show, showing me how to like weigh out a bag of drugs. What, you know, what, mm-hmm. how much, how much this drug goes for, how much these pills go for, what to, what to do when somebody, you know, how to, how to, you know, hide from the cops, how to, how does you know like there there's an education to street life does that make sense yeah yeah so um and then you know but I always wanted out of that shit like I didn't want to be in it that's why like I didn't have anything else to hang out with but so I would be around these things when I had to be but like I never wanted to be there so I would often turn to like again like I said figures like Will Smith or other people Mm -hmm. that were doing great things and use them as a source of inspiration, use music as a mechanism to imagine or envision like a different future for myself. I knew I needed to be like really disciplined. I never wanted to be out of control because uh, essentially like my parents were partiers where the party never turned off, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of kids do this now. Like a lot of kids are really into partying and they have no fucking idea what train tracks they've just hopped on. Mm. They don't. So anyway. Uh, you want me to go into the depression stuff probably but quick before you do um yeah you just was there any kind of thing that happened in your life or you just from a young age you just knew this was wasn't the life I guess my question is where did you learn that this wasn't the life that you wanted right whereas maybe some of your peers were trying to go for this life so much awful shit from substance usage before I was probably even five years old that like my consciousness was like, dude, this is fucked. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw my first pornographic film 
laying on the floor of my aunt's drug house, I think probably at like four or five years old, you know, and everybody would go upstairs and smoke their dope in this upstairs attic. And um, I'd like fallen asleep on this floor. And I think they all come, they all came down. And I just think they, you know, they didn't know any better or whatever. They thought it'd be funny. And they started playing this, uh, they started playing this porno that like, I don't know if it, like if they just thought it was funny and they were trying to like laugh about it with each other, but it was a whole group of them. And I remember them laughing. And I mean, probably like nine or 10 uh, men and women in the room dirty house, you know, unvacuumed floors, like food on the floor and stuff. So I'm asleep on the floor in this kind of like dirty blanket probably hasn't been washed in like a couple of weeks. Like it's a fucking dirt house. It's a dirty drug house. Mm -hmm. I'm asleep on the floor. And um, they play this porno that was like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And this was how I started to see how like our early childhood like impacts us because this, this did, and this might be too am I for this podcast, but it later affected like even how I experience things sexually like I'm super into blowjobs because of this porno that you because saw when you're the, and I think and I and I if I really uh. examine it I think it's because this porno like th- this like guy was like chasing Snow White around and like you know and then like Snow White like he like turns around and he pulls out like this giant penis it's like mm-hmm. big penis and she's like oh my god it's amazing you know like her whole demeanor switched from like, why are you chasing me? Why are you chasing me to like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen, you know? And that's crazy and, that your your memory of it. How old were you? You said I was probably four, probably yeah. four, four or five years old. I mean, I was really young, and it fascinated me. Mm-hmm. Sorry, like, I had a quick question on that before. Do you have a lot of memories from your your childhood? Because that's something that I noticed with my my Cuban friends. They're telling me about their their childhood in Cuba, which is nuts, crazy. And they have memories from when they were like two years old, one years old. For me, I only start having memories when I'm, I don't know, maybe nine years old, like eight years old, maybe 10. So it's fascinating that you have this bad memory is so vivid or so strong for you. Yeah. I mean, some memories are more, are more strong than other. Like I know that I could probably, I could access, I feel pretty confident that if I did enough focused work, I could, I could access probably just about any memory. Like Mm -hmm. it would just take me time, focus, Uh and then like probably some manipulation of my body and utilizing my body and breathing in order to access those, like those deeper recesses of those memory banks, because you got to think like that data comes in and it gets shuttled from the short-term memory bank into the long-term memory bank. So you got to go like searching through those files, I see. you know, but some memories I think like also help shape our likes and dislikes and desires as, as we start like getting older and growing older. And I just think that this was one of those like standout memories for me you know, I mean, like later on when I, cause I, I've done this deep work around every aspect of my life around like eating food and sleeping around like sex and sexual desire around, uh, action, taking action in the world, like the things that I want to do around, you know, compassion around creativity around how do I like, like, cause you notice that like musical people or artists, like they live completely different than people, um, that are like, maybe say like a finance guy you know what I'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, the, the mentality is a hundred percent different. A hundred percent. So yeah. then like, so then you, you start to wonder, well, what is it? Like what things, what experiences started to help shape and craft this being into who they became today, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so th- that's like the thing that really fascinates me is the unfolding of the, of, of the human system and, and, and how the soul is experiencing the human system in relation to this, this whole grand life process. That's, that's my deepest fascination. Interesting. Interesting. That's kind of part of the reason why I do this podcast um, is exactly that. It's like understanding people, their experiences and how it shaped them. Um, and then trying to understand like, why they do the things that they do well it's again it's just it's just their experiences they've had that causes the behaviors that they're they're doing you know so that's fascinating to me well and and i think that that the podcast venue i think it's so cool that you have that because it it is a great way for us to explore that in other folks you could Mm -hmm. in i like doing it like this i love like i love especially going to a place where i'm not known in any way because you can blend in really easy when you're not known. Mm-hmm. And if you can get to a place where you can blend in and then just watch, just watch humans. You know, people always say people watching, but watch without, watch without making conclusions. Hmm. You know, just like watch to watch, develop that skill first. Then what happens is, is as you develop the ability to like listen with your senses versus talk with your senses, then all of a sudden life starts to speak to you in a completely different way. At least this was my experience. Interesting. You know, and, and so that's a cool way, but the, the podcast is such a, a, I mean, like, and like, think about this, like if it wasn't for this Katie, like how might you and I have ever come together and had this conversation? Yeah, probably wouldn't have happened. <laughs> But yeah, so like the, you, you know, you had this podcast. I just think it's so neat because it opened up this opportunity for, mm-hmm. for us to get to know each other and for you to, well, at least in this context, you're really, you know, we're really just diving into what I got going on, but I definitely um, can feel your energy and, and um, we've had great conversations off of here too. So there's, mm-hmm. there's so much like that I want to know about you too. We'll say that for another time, <laughs> maybe another time, but I want to know more. Um, let's go. So the experiences you had when you were younger, um, and then you got to this point when you were 20, let's dive back into that experience. Yeah. You know, um, so I kind of had like, you know, almost like that one encounter that I told you at four, then like, there are like several of these big events, you know, that have happened, like pretty consistently like I used to watch my grandfather like physically beat the shit out of my grandmother like a man on like multiple occasions you know uh my uncle you know he went to prison um he he went to Fort Leavenworth you know joined gangs so like you know those impacted how he behaved you know and all, all and, and and so like we never really had like normal emotionally balanced loving family experiences like it, like any sort of like group gathering was usually like paired with like some form of infighting or guilting or shaming or bullying you know it's it, like very very uh very few experiences were like that I can say were like just like 100% pleasant hmm. 
you know the struggles of poverty are like super real and again like where there's no lasting joy people seek pleasures to substitute and then eventually the body grows dependent upon these sub substances like both my dad and my mom are dependent upon methamphetamines like they need it well they need it to feel normal not even to escape like in the same way that like you know like a coffee drinker wakes up and drinks coffee like they're waking up and probably like taking a hit or smoking or, you know, whatever it is that they're doing to feel like they can get going for the day. Hmm. And this is what happens when, when partying becomes such a regular and routine part of your life that like pretty soon, like you don't even remember what it was like to not be in the party. Yeah. It's like you start developing a habit and you just get into that same habit (laughs) over and over and over again. They have a psychological dependency and they have a physical dependency. So they're not free. They're slaves to a substance. Mm-hmm. And but they're still beautiful people. Like I say that at the same time, I want to acknowledge their beauty and like, and I don't, I think people do too much to villainize people that suffer from drug addiction. Like, honestly, like most people that get into drugs, they don't want to be there. They do not want to be there. In fact, in most instances, like they're like, they're like, this is like, they desperately want to stop. They know they're letting everybody down, including themselves. They know they're putting themselves into awful situations, but like, they literally can't, they can't kick the physical dependence. Like, it's like, you ever see somebody try to quit smoking cigarettes? Yeah. You know, like the, the body develops a chemical dependency. Mm -hmm. And if it does this with nicotine, this is kind of the deeper part that I'd like to leave you with right now. It does it with anger. It does it with depression. It also does it with the joy chemicals. It's just, which ones are you causing to be activated in your body most frequently? You know, like this is why, like, so to give you an example of this, like I know somebody that every day when they get off of work, they got to get off work around rush hour, right? So they get on the interstate, it's rush hour. So what happens? Oh, man, fuck this guy. He doesn't know how to fucking drive, blah. You know what? Oh, you idiot. You know, like, and they're in their car and they're literally having a verbal fight with like 20, 30 cars, their whole, their whole way home. Hmm. And, and they, they just they, like that. <laughs> they, and they do it every day. And part of the reason why they're doing it every day is because they've trained their body to anticipate that chemical at that time. Hmm. So then when the body gets on the interstate, it's like, okay, it's four o'clock. We should be getting our little hit of anger. Where's our, where's our hit of anger. So then the brain starts sending the body starts sending signals to the brain to search for something to get pissed at because it's searching for it, the thing that's gonna give it its hit of frustration. Like if you think of like, like a hit of a drag of a cigarette, mm-hmm. you know? Like why do, do people who smoke go, oh my God, like after sex, they go, oh my God, I need a cigarette. Or they either eat a meal and they're like, oh my God, I need a cigarette. Yeah. Because they have body to anticipate that chemical after that action. Have you read uh, The Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg? I haven't. I haven't I'll, I'll put it on my list though pretty much what you're explaining is exactly what the book is it like for me it was one of my favorite books because it changed the paradigm because it explains exactly that it's like our whole life is a series of habits so whatever you do you want to do more of and as you do more of it it's harder to break out of it 
um, and everything, right? Everything you do, that's that's how the most successful marketing campaigners are successful because they turn into a habit, right? And that's how you can break your habit. So it, it's cool. It, it was one of the best books. Um, that was really good. And then there's this other book called Atomic Habits, which was mm-hmm. more tactical ways of breaking down habits. Um, so that's something I find super fascinating because it's like the little stuff you do every day you don't think matters but like you just keep playing that out and out and out and out eventually you have something that's so hard to break you know so it's like you have to be super conscious about the little stuff that you're doing every single day oh man you nail I'm gonna check out both of those books thank you for sharing those with me uh, I'm I'm just like sharing with you my lived experiences in here you know like seeing what goes on in my system you know and like having a longing to then uh, break those shackles like that's my longing. My longing is to break my own internal shackles. Do you still think that you have some shackles? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. Uh, yes. Like this work is, you know, um, this work takes commitment. It does. It takes commitment and it takes dedication and con- and above all, it takes consistency of action. Even like I've, I've, I do practices a minimum of twice a day and I still know, I still, that's why I want to go to Nashville, hmm. you know? Oh, to break, to get out of your comfort zone. I want, to, I want to break shackles, you know, I want to, I want to break shackles. Just curious, why Nashville? Uh, so um, Nashville is kind of a bigger city. Um, it's, it's sort of anticipated to be one of the fastest growing cities in the country when you go to Nashville it's a it's a it would be considered a red state too like I don't want to move to a democratic state right (laughs) um yeah I just don't like I'm not I'm not I'm not in alignment with any policies that are pretty much being pushed Mm -hmm. by democratic leadership right now I'm not in alignment with any of the narratives that are being pushed by the democratic upper leadership right now and um, I just want to, I want to spend some time with some folks that I'm much more in alignment with. Like I'm, I'm very like, I'm pro second amendment. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm big on right to bear arms. I know what it is like, like taking guns away from people is not going to stop bad people from having guns. Mm. And, and, and the guns are there not, not for hunting they're there to make a tyrannical government afraid of its people. Hmm. I mean, human beings have not evolved themselves to the point where they desire altruism from their hearts. So they only respect fear. Like if you really think about it, most people, the only, like a lot of folks, the only reason why they don't act like an animal a little bit more is because they're afraid of consequence. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a big theory of thought out there. That's like, that was, why religions or I guess the rules around religions were ultimately created because back back in the day when it was created it was the way to control people because there was no other way to control them so therefore be a good person or you'll burn in hell kind of thing yeah yeah so like think about that like Mm -hmm. people who want power want to have control over people that feel disempowered Mm -hmm. yeah I'm with you I'm all, all for the like I think that the best thing you can do is give someone the opportunity or help empower them, like by just giving it to them or whatever. I've never been a big supporter of that. Yeah. And this is why then too, at every stage where there's been a living Buddha, 
people in power have came to kill them. Hmm. They killed Christ. Why? Because he wanted to empower people that weren't in power. Hmm. <laughs> they killed, they, they attempted to kill Buddha several times. Most people don't know that Gautama Siddhartha, Jesus was a Buddha. Like people view, like we don't know enough about culture in the United States to kind of understand we're taught religion in a very Western way, and we have to break free of how we were educated. I, I didn't know where education started, but from what I understand, I, I could be totally wrong here, but from the little research that I have on how education has gotten the way that it has was from John D. Rockefeller. Hmm. And he was basically wanting workers. Right. Hogs for the machine. Right. You know? not empowered, you know, self-made entrepreneurs, you know, I mean, imagine if like some people like didn't really want to be like an expansive entrepreneur, but they just wanted to like have the ability to work for themselves. Mm -hmm. Freedom. Freedom. Mm -hmm. you know? And, and what government that seeks power wants their people to feel free. No, they want you to feel a, 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 a certain sections of this government want you to feel dependent because they can control you through dependency yeah but again i think the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions you yeah know? i think some people are good intended and i think some people are malintended yeah i mean it's probably true yeah. you know I, I i don't uh i've not experienced human beings to just be like innately all the time altruistic beings with everybody's best intentions in mind i know plenty of people that would literally take everything from you including your own life and it wouldn't even they wouldn't even feel a sense of remorse or guilt for it yeah that's that's so that's so different and again it's just so interesting getting a glimpse into your world and how you grew up right because in my world like i grew up in canada in a nice small town everyone's nice <laughs> so in my world like it's not often that i've encountered people like that so some folks that in big business i mean come yeah, on like really, like if you about it too like how altruistic really is a jeff bezos yeah i mean i mean that dude has got like like think about it let's just say you built a business to jeff bezos level mm -hmm. think about how much like just how many different things could be being done if he had a deeper more altruistic heart yeah yeah that's one way to look at it but on the other side i mean the way i see this i don't like that amazon has a lot of power but amazon's cool in the sense that amazon has enabled a bunch of micro entrepreneurs right oh yeah i'm i'm and i'm not like i'm mm -hmm. trying to like look at all sides of things with as honest eyes as possible and like what could be and i'm not saying that like he has an obligation to do anything. I'm just trying to like, look at him honestly as a person mm -hmm. and like looking at, looking at motives because what people take action on also reveals their deeper desires and their deeper motives, what they take action on, not what they say they're going to do, but what they actually do. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Is that kind of, you know, you kind of uh, like, I don't know if I'm, clear there or helping no, you know i think amazon really cool and i think and good for him he's done something like like you know um 
really, really cool. And I don't know the guy personally, you know, I've seen some interviews, I've, I've just gotten to see interviews with him, you know, and I'd love, and I don't want to speak for a person or I just like, you know, I've seen, I've seen great beings do incredible things. Like as an example, my guru, Sadhguru, who's very, he's controversial in the U S and he's especially controversial in, in India. But like, I have seen this guy plant millions and millions and millions of trees. I've seen him um, completely like save whole rivers, like major river streams in India, completely revamp across the whole, like major river streams, like huge, 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 huge programs that bring healthcare and food into impoverished rural areas and education systems that they all, that they, that their organization that they make money from then uses that money to like, like to fulfill these other more conscious like endeavors. So, and I'm not saying everybody has to do that because we have the right to choose. I'm, I guess I'm just kind of saying, wouldn't it be exciting or wouldn't it be a really like neat place for us to live if rather than just thinking about our own well-being that universally we really thought about everyone's well-being like being like super inclusive with our well-being desires yeah no and I I agree with that 100% I guess if you can't take a step back though like everyone kind of has a role to play right and and I think that always it's better to think of everyone right think about the whole but it's like I mean potentially let's say the payout for building Amazon is not as great right Jeff Bezos doesn't walk away with that however many billions he walks away with right then maybe he doesn't spend the 25 30 years slugging away sweating like because no one sees the amount of work that took to bring Amazon to where it is right so if the payout's not big enough maybe he doesn't create that and then think about all the micro entrepreneurs who are building their livelihoods on Amazon. So, I mean, yeah. Do I think that Jeff Bezos should share? Yeah, I think so. I don't know enough about him or about his, his things, but, but, um, and of course, like, I think it's always better to be generous and give and not to think of yourself, but I mean, potentially if the payout isn't that big, maybe he doesn't spend the 20 years building it kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And, I think we're, um, we're in total alignment. I agree with you hundred percent. I, I, he, he, he might not, he might not have the desire to push as hard, you know, mm-hmm. if, if that payoff, I mean, it just, if, I mean, cause the payoff is significant to him, like in his, yeah. in his money is what is significant, you know, or, or maybe it's not even the money. Maybe it's some other thing that the, it's most likely some other thing that he thinks that the money is going to give him probably. That I would think, push yeah. I don't, I mean, again, I don't know Jeff great. Bezos. But knowing, like, reading a lot, I get about those personality types. I think it's more about, I mean, maybe it's about the money. I don't know. But I think it's more about, like, the creating, right? Building something that's going to change mm. the world, right? And, like, that part of it's really cool. And so I guess the money is just a side effect. But, again, I'm speaking words. I have no idea. I don't know Jeff Bezos, nor have I watched a lot. Yeah, be sweet. maybe we could, maybe we both can have Because, like, I'd like to know. I don't know either. Yeah. I, well, I don't know ultimate and I'm not trying to put them in a good or a bad box mm-hmm. you know I just I was just more or less kind of like presenting the possibility that there was an opportunity that he holds that so many people don't hold right. to where sh- should he choose should the desire arise within him to execute and it doesn't have to it's his life he can 
guide it how he how he wants of course you know and um the, i just think that they're there i'm just pointing out i guess that there is an opportunity that could be could be capitalized on because he's he's done so great at positioning himself you know and i, I you know i guess then maybe too i operate from the perspective that like uh, I like to uh, think that um, if we are strong and capable, I, I think that we have some degree of responsibility to help those that are not as strong or not as capable, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I, you're right doing that with those micro entrepreneurs and, and stuff like that. They, they are doing that. I'm not saying that they're not entire. I don't know enough, you know, um, I just know that like when I think about his net worth, I'm like, oh my God, that is an incredible amount of money. Yeah. You know, like if I compare that to, um, you know, I guess how most people live and like yeah. the other expenditures and stuff like, and I don't know enough, I guess I don't know enough about how, you know, how the flow of money goes in and out or what that really means for him. You know, um, I would just, I would it would be neat to see where his heart was you know what he was wanting to do it would be cool maybe maybe we'll get Jeff Bezos on the podcast hit <laughs> him on and you find out <laughs> the tough questions that we all want to know you know but what drives you Jeff the I think it like in my opinion I mean I don't know right and I'm 100% with you I think that if you have that level of wealth right like you should have at least some whatever kind of spread the wealth or do something try to help other people and I think I mean I don't know I don't know if enough about this situation um but kind of when it comes back down to habits I think it like at the end of the day you take someone who's living in the middle class here right and you compare them to someone who's living in Guatemala or someone who's living in India in a dire situation or do you take the middle class here and you compare it let's say to someone who's living in, in poverty poverty right in america like there's always like a degree of relative so it's like like if you're in the middle class right you have a degree of comfort why aren't you doing more to help other people right um because you could be right and it's all relative like so maybe it's not handing out 20 million like jeff bezos could do could no problem but maybe it's handing out 20 bucks right to the person who doesn't have a meal and is on the street or something you know what i'm saying so it's I feel like as you your your spending habits, your generosity isn't it's like if people think, oh, once I make X amount of dollars, I can be generous, I can get it never turns out that way, right? The more you make, the more you want. And then Jeff, Be I don't know. I have no idea how how those people live, but my assumption is Jeff Bezos is a friend with a lot of other entrepreneurs. Jeff Bezos is a friend with a lot of other millionaire billionaires, and their world is normal. It's like just like buying a toy for their kid it's like let's buy a yacht let's buy a, you know what i'm saying so it's it's like that has become normalized in their world so maybe it's like a i don't know like a, a detachment from reality i, I don't know I'm, I'm not sure well, yeah you know and and uh you know nobody owes anybody anything so jeff mm -hmm. doesn't owe the world his charity you know like it's not an owed thing and I like what you said. I think it's a really cool if we have a genuine desire to be, to be helpful and to be like gen conscious with our generosity too, you know, mm -hmm. like I definitely, um, and generosity doesn't always have to come with money. It can come in the form of education. It can mm -hmm. come in the form of listening, 
being, and it, I think so much of generosity comes from the sweetness of emotion that you give. Yeah. Are, are you generous with your love? Are you generous with your pleasantness? Or are you generous with your, your bitterness? Are you, <laughs> are you very gen, gen, generous with your anger, gen, yeah. generous with your depression? I, th- I, I guess what I'm hoping is, is what, no, no matter a person's money, because life, like life itself doesn't care about our bank ledger. Mm-hmm. You know, I, w- I think I get on the subject of money because, in, uh, because of uh, money as a tool it's a nice tool Uh uh-huh it it gives you yeah it gives you freedom it gives you it gives you leverage that's what money gives you yeah it gives you a lot of leverage but it doesn't give you much it really doesn't even if you've got tons of money you know uh you can be like exceptionally monetarily wealthy and just like excruciatingly poor in every other thing you can be Mm -hmm. poor in deep meaningful relationships you can be poor in um poor in truth, poor in understanding of like the deeper components um, about, you know, which is why I think actually money is, is tougher, right? Because if you have a lot of money, you're always wondering, like, is this person actually my friend because they want to be my friend or are they my friend because of the connections they can get or because of what I can give them? Same thing with truth, right? If you have money, you have so much leverage. So then it's like, no one really wants to tell you the truth because like they want to impress you they, it's it's just like this power dynamic or hierarchy right that kind of leaves people wondering like what are the true motives you know so i think yeah, it's no, I, tougher. I feel that. Mm-hmm. because i actually think that one of the things why like a lot of my clients and students end up loving and staying staying with me for such a long time is that they 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 feel very quickly i don't give a fuck about their <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't care at all. I don't care how much money that they have. And they're not used to being experienced as like a a real human. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not there because of their money. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, because of that, it takes a second. Like, they have to, like, be with me a second and do their little, like, you know, their little social testing. They're going to test me. Yeah. They're going to test me to see if I'm there for the money or if I'm there, you know, to like actually provide them like with this, with the tactics and techniques to give them what, what they're at. They, they haven't figured out how to get it yet, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't know who to trust because again, most of the people are not with them to be with them in a genuine encounter. Yeah. A lot of people have a secondary motive, you know? So I'm very upfront about the motives in the beginning. I'm like, hey, these are my rates, boom, mm-hmm. right? Aside from my rate, like, in the, and I'll even tell them, I'm like, hey, and listen, like the only reason why I even want money for this is because I got to pay some bills and, you know, and I, I get it. I know you're a business person, right? So being totally like upfront about the money component, you know, but I would do, but I will say, I'll say I would do this for free. Question, question for you. Uh, do you... Uh, secretly despise wealth do i secretly despise wealth Mm -hmm. well you know i I, like i am i'm perpetually working upon like uh, overcoming and a a long-standing deep inner tendency or like where um you're sort of taught in in poverty that rich people are mean and awful Hmm. you know and so like, it's not, it's not even uh, like a despising of, of, of wealth. 
like there are some layers to it. Like I think one layer is is like uh, uh, there was a there was a longstanding belief that it, for a long time that wealth was going to be hard to have. Like you it was know, unattainable. You couldn't attain like that. Yeah, that it was unattainable. You know, so uh, that neural network still exists as a pathway in my brain. So then I have to be very conscious of how that those neural networks are are playing out. Which is why then again, like my yoga is so important and so valuable because when when you do your process, it will kick you loose from your body and it will kick you loose from your mind. So like you'll you'll actually get to view your mind like a spectator, mm -hmm. you know? And the power in that is, is, I, is it gives me the ability to watch my inner tendencies, mm -hmm. my inner tendencies in real time. And then I can start to like, I'm always questioning them in general, you know? But then I can start to like work with them, you know, like change them, you know, by, by taking conscious action to change them. How did you first get into meditating, first get into yoga? Uh, I, I got into meditating and yoga. Uh, I was, I had first gotten into to fitness because I'd always felt an intuitive connection between using my body and creating pleasantness. Like ever since I was a kid, I had this, like, I'm like, oh, if I go do this with my body, like, I'm going to feel better. Like if I go play in the playground you know, I do something like that. And then in the Marines, you know, like I definitely experienced a lot of uh, ability to create pleasantness for myself through hard training of my body and through, through the uh, active displaying discipline in my world, like being like squared away, locked in, you know? So I needed to regain some discipline because like uh, the more we do what we want, the, then it's really, it's often really easy to become undisciplined. Like, oh, I want the pizza, so I eat the pizza. Oh, I want the beer, so I drink the beer. Oh, I want to, you know, go to the cute girl's house, so I go to the cute girl's house. Oh, I want to, you know, the more we, you know, we kind of give into that, it's really easy to slip into like a little less disciplined state and a little less disciplined state. And so I needed to like recover this feeling that like I was actually in control of my life because the way I was experiencing my life was that I wasn't in control of anything and I couldn't make anything of any real substance happen and I couldn't gain any traction and I couldn't hit any targets, right? Like I was in this time period in my life where that's what I was experiencing. So I started with um, one of the most basic things that I can control, which was what I put into my body and what came out of my mouth. Hmm. Interesting. You know, so I started controlling my food and I, and I really started to just shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, I just, I wanted to, uh, and, and even now, like I, I really see that as being a very still continual, valuable, exceptionally valuable process that stays with me all the time. I'm talking a lot in the podcast because we're here and I, and I asked you to talk, <laughs> I want to hear about your experience. I, I like hearing what you have to say. <laughs> um, but ideally like when I'm not in a position where I'm being asked to talk, I won't talk, hmm. you know, and I stay quiet a lot, you know, I stay quiet and I want to listen, but then, you know, 
uh, I'll, I'll talk, but I needed to gain some control because in the past, like things would just fly out of my mouth, you know, and like saying things can get you in more trouble than doing things sometimes. <laughs> okay. So you started going to the gym to start regaining the, the discipline. The discipline, I needed to get healthy. I needed to get uh, healthy. And so I started controlling my food, built mm -hmm. a discipline macro plan for myself again. I wanted to, and at the time, like, again, mind you, I don't know anything that I know about yoga now. So like, I like, I wanted to be sexy. Like I wanted to look good. Totally. Like I want, <laughs> I thought that one of the few things that would, um, one of the few things at the time, this was what I thought I was like, well, okay. Um, I don't have like a fancy car. Okay. Like I don't have a nice car. I don't really have very many like nice clothes. Mm. I don't have like consistent living for myself. Um, you know, I don't have like, you don't get to come home to like Christmases with me. You don't get family dinners with me. Like you don't get shit with me really besides me. Right. And I just, at the time I did not have enough like inner knowing and knowing of my inner value that, 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 especially with women, like, I feel like my experience now of women is, is women really have a, have a real genuine desire to connect with their partners on, on a real deep emotional level and psychological level. And that's a huge driver, even for the physical component of the interaction is that like their ability to actually like connect with you on a, on a deep, on a deeper level. Um, it's also really beneficial though. I feel if you can still hit those survival based attraction circuits. <laughs> depending right depending you know? I think from from the female at least I don't know how other girls are but for me it's always like the most attractive thing is when someone's super comfortable with who they are I guess self-actualized like someone who's like just completely comfortable with the person they are it's like a confidence but not an arrogance and it's like yeah. if you have that you know your worth it's like you know your worth and if you know your worth then like I can see your worth so. yeah and described there was a little bit more like eloquently of what I was attempting to say like I didn't realize that about women at the time hmm, interesting you know well one thing is is like uh no human being will ever be a hundred percent how you want them to be mm -hmm. you know so when when learning how to love I think people need to know that I think they need to realize that love is a sweetness of human emotion that doesn't need restriction and only only what we give becomes our fragrance. Hmm. Interesting. You know, like a flower has a fragrance. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. You know, like if I give bitterness, I'm giving the fragrance of bitterness. If I give anger, you know, I give that, I give that too, you know, and. Um, I think Bill, Bill Gates, I don't know, one person had a really good quote. No, I don't know. So maybe Charlie Munger, but it's like, if you want a worthy partner, be worthy of a worthy partner. And then yes. Yes, totally. It's, it's a, an exceptionally accurate quote. And one of the interesting things, I, I bring this up because um, like the internet has been like apparent for me. Hmm. You know, like so much of how I've been able to develop myself has come by listening to people that I would have never had access to if it wasn't for the internet.
and like allowing them to be a brother that I had never met, a sister that I had never met, you know, a father that I'd never experienced, a mother that I'd never experienced, a lover that I'd never experienced, like just allowing myself to have all of these like sort of different experiences from my present vantage point and like listening to them. But then I also recognize though, that like in relationship, because relationship is a, it's a variable, like it's never, it's never fixed. It's never static. It's Mm -hmm. always dynamic. And so like, I was thinking I had this hit me. I don't remember when, but it hit me again recently that like, you might not be the kind of person that would earn the right to be friends with that person in real life. Hmm. Interesting. Like, let's take Joe Rogan as an example. I was thinking, <laughs> you, you know how many, you know how many people, including myself, because I started listening to Joe from his very first podcast. No way. Podcast wow. episode one with Brian Redman. Where they freaking were trying to figure out the camera. Yeah. <laughs> work? And uh, yeah. I watched them go through like the early days where the, the podcast sponsor was the flashlight. Joe used to like sell the, the sex toy. I think Aubrey Marcus's mom made it. It's the only like, it's like the number one sex toy for men, the flashlight, right? It's. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I watched that earlier, but it sounds like something Joe would advertise in the early yep so and he used to give away on the podcast <laughs> people would show up and he'd be like dude he's like way better than your hand take this thing you know <laughs> oh yeah you know so, like that too. <laughs> <laughs> you know uh and uh and he was one of the first people having like real honest conversations yeah that were real and and but joe's also like done a lot of jujitsu and he's done a lot of personal development so he's this really great combination of being both like understanding and dangerous yeah I, I like I like Joe a lot just I mean yeah because he's pretty open-minded that I like that and I like like you were saying with the jujitsu I don't where he picked it up but I like the the mentality is a very empowering mindset it's never like a victim mindset it's always and it is very authentic. Like Joe just doesn't give two shits. It's just literally like he started this thing to, to have conversations with his buddies, you know? Yeah. So I, I love that. I really, really appreciate that about Joe. I don't like sometimes I think now he's gotten better, but sometimes he'd make some comments. I was like, ah, like you got to say that. But I mean, I like it though, because he's just authentically who he is. So. See, that's really cool too to even hear you like, because I love like there's such a beauty in like loving the total person and being able to like you know at times like not always agree with everything Mm -hmm. like a person says but not go oh I can't fucking be your friend anymore because you said (laughs) one thing I didn't like yeah which has been like this year in politics is crazy like if you say that oh I like like this about the Republicans or I like this about the Democrats it's like you're automatically put in a box so you're automatically put like polarized and it's crazy how how much people that's how much emotions is behind it <laughs> like it's like I mean yeah I agree with some of these things yeah I like some of the things like but I'm not in one camp or the other you're, you're so rooted in your own identity that like yeah. doesn't you just don't feel you can, it's hard it's hard to feel um other people but we're, you're right we're in this polarized 
but I think it comes back down to your practice, right? It's like, if your ego or you attach yourself to a certain identity, you can't let go of that identity. So therefore you'll defend that identity no matter what, right? If I'm a Republican, I'm going to defend that. If I'm a Democrat, I'm going to defend that regardless of, you know, so it's, it's everyone could meditate a little bit more, (laughs) do some more yoga, like detach from their ego. I don't think we'd be facing what we're facing, you know? Yeah, I, I, you're totally right. I think that, um, like I experience it like this too. Like, even if like I'm in conversation, like, I don't know everybody's experiences, Mm -hmm. you know? So like you're in a conversation and like, you're talking about subjects and something doesn't immediately align with your present experience of that thing or, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's, it's really quick for people to want to, um, convince the other party that their perspective is the right one yeah there's not a lot of empathy like no one really seeks to understand you know it's just like this is my opinion and my opinion is right because this is how I've experienced the world right and who's tell you how are you who are you to tell me that my experience is wrong but on the flip side it's like who are you to tell me that my experience is wrong and I feel like that's part of the issue is like no one tries to understand the other person no one has empathy which is actually another reason why I like doing this podcast is because it's like, if you can understand people, understand their experiences, and if you can get a glimpse into what their world looks like, I mean, then you can understand their behavior, then you can understand their point of view. Still doesn't mean you have to agree with them, like, but at least you understand where their behavior is coming from, and then it removes good or bad, or removes, like, this person is bad, or I don't, their behavior pisses me off you understand it so it like takes away the emotion of it and then it's just like okay I don't agree with you that's fine you can think that or whatever I don't agree with you um but it's not so much me versus you it's just like I understand let's move forward yeah yeah and then you can still be pleasant with people and then you can handle situations and circumstances with greater clarity and greater effectiveness right like I can be more clear I can be more effective when I'm pleasant and then I can, um, I can choose my, my responses better too. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, well, I don't know, like, like, have you ever seen, like, I've seen some videos of like places in like, you know, Thailand or whatever guys got like a machete to somebody's throat, you know, something. And, and, um, you have an officer that's like talking to this person. And if they're, if, if even in that moment, they can find a way to seek to understand what brought that person to the point where they could put a machete to throat and they start talking to that part of that person that doesn't feel seen, that doesn't feel understood. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And that, that police officer can do that. You can usually, you can almost inevitably see that person walking themselves away from the ledge. And, you know, and those are, and it's in those spaces when that person's consciousness steps back from the ledge that usually then the officer kind of like rushes in and, and makes the save, you know, before that person gets hurt or injured, or maybe they walk them away. We see that with like suicide jumpers, you know, yeah. people that are sitting on edges of bridges and somebody can talk, they can, because they're empathizing, because they're seeking to understand, because they're they're not going to sit on that, you know, cause like you could imagine like now if we had a suicide jumper, <laughs> and this, this poor person is about to get the worst 
deputy <laughs> ever to come and help him, right? Because the guy's going to go to jump and they're having a conversation. The officer's like, hey, hey, uh, you know, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I'm just having a rough day. And he's like, well, you're fucking stupid. You shouldn't even be having a rough day because look, the sun's out. You know what I'm saying? Like, how, yeah. how, huh? you know, like, and he's just, <laughs> he's like putting how he thinks life should be. Uh-huh. off onto that person then that person their inner tendency is going to be like well fuck you this you know what i'm saying yeah they're gonna want to do what they want to do more to prove him wrong yeah yeah you know but if that officer can talk to the part of them that doesn't feel understood Maybe that part of them doesn't even feel understood to themselves. If there's a way in which we can see each other to that depth, and we can, I know we can train that ability, but it does take courage and you have to risk being, you know, there's a lot there. Well, and you have to get, you have to go, you have to break your silos, right? You, you can't be in the same groups of people. You can't, I mean, I mean, maybe you can, but you have to actively seek out and really seek out, right? Not seek out just to argue, right? But really seek out the different opinion, the different, to understand it. I had a friend once, he told me, super, super impactful for me. He said, if I feel myself judging someone else, I look for the gaps of ignorance in my own understanding. Yeah. So yeah. after he told me that, I was like, wow, you're so right. And then it's like, now it's, it's been so helpful for my life because if I'm ever like judging something, then I'm just, I try to figure out like what about them I don't understand. And it just, it makes a, it makes me a happier person because it's like this person was a dick or whatever it was. And it's like, all right, well, I mean, let me understand how their life is going. Right. And then if you understand that, then you realize it's never about you. Right. It's always about that person, how they're experiencing and how they're feeling, you know? Um, so it's been super, super helpful. And it's, it's just ridiculous. I think empathy is one of the most underrated, but one of the most powerful skills um to have and i just think that not a lot of people access the, the power of empathy uh, you're you're a hunt you're, you're you're totally right you're totally right and like i loved what you said you said it's not about me it's about them and their internal experience mm -hmm. which goes back to what we've been saying this whole time that we can choose our like or like the theme of my kind of main message i guess you could say is that we choose we can choose our internal experience regardless of situation it takes training because like when a human being is, is uh, pleasant and joyful, there's not a desire to do harm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. there's desire to do harm when you're in an unpleasant or miserable state. Yeah, there, there's a tweet there, something like, no one looks at an old man or like at a guy screaming at an old lady in traffic and thinks, man, I want this guy's life. <laughs> yeah. like, no one thinks that, you know? You yeah. Know that people are struggling with their own kind of shitholes or whatever it is and um and that and you know and those people so then like my message to those folks to the guy screaming my message to the guy screaming at the old lady would be hey man she's not who you're really pissed at mm -hmm. you know and there's, there's something in that person that they've yet to want to confront and they've yet to want to look at. Well, every human being really is um, 
mostly experiencing their lives as a gigantic bundle of, of psychological drama, hmm. which is driven by the memories of their past experiences and the imaginations of their future experiences. And, and most of these mm, decisions or behaviors are not happening as a, like, as a conscious choice. Like people are being pushed by their thought. They're being pushed by their emotion to respond or, re, or most likely to react in a very, let's maybe use the word compulsive fashion. Mm-hmm. And, the, and then the, the present the present mental condition around this is that we are free. We are free because we can do what you feel like doing. So you, what you're saying is everyone is acting kind of out of, a lot of people are acting out of like compulsion because they don't really understand or they haven't worked through. They don't know the compulsions or the things that they're getting, but we think we're free. Yeah. Well, you know, like we, 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 we've this has been my experience like we think that mm-hmm. we're free because we want to follow it like a lot of folks and i won't say every folks but like this is mm-hmm. why uh we we want to follow these little um signals that you're getting from the inside you know somebody um feels a little bit of anger right and they feel now all of a sudden that their reaction is justified their behavior is justified because they have this feeling of anger that's rising within them. So then it's not a, they're not looking at the situation and going, okay, how do I consciously handle this situation? Uh, They're looking at their, they're reacting. Got it. Got it. It's like, it's like their emotions is painting a narrative and that narrative is like painting the world from their, their opinion or from their viewpoint. You know, and, and, and so, you know, part of what I, have discovered is is that is the link um the link between all layers of our of our system like in american culture particularly western culture we view like we don't have a holistic or a realistic view or understanding as to how our system actually works like right now most people believe themselves to be a body or most people believe themselves to be a mind like they're and we're very very belief driven Hmm. go deeper into that (laughs) I think I know a little bit about what you're talking about but I can't say that I'm I mean this is why I also want to talk to you to learn more about it um but in terms of you know observing the mind instead of being in the mind or thinking you are the mind but kind of unpack that a little bit more well so um what people call as their body is uh if we look at it if you if we look at it, what we discover is is that the body is just a piece of the planet that we're carrying around on loan. Interesting. That totally different, like totally changes, I guess, the way that you would view things. Right? Mm, yeah. Hmm. I mean, uh, so like right now in American culture, we've not really been encouraged to turn inward. We've not been encouraged to ask questions. We're much more encouraged to just have faith, to believe, right? And then mm, not, you know, consciously or unconsciously, then people are facing the everyday struggles of life and they're responding to the best of their ability their present ability to those struggles, right? And, and belief offers a really nice 
um, momentary sense of like solace, like comfort, you know? But the thing is, is if you ever see people that die, like I've, I've, you know, I've been very blessed to have a very deep and varied experience of, of life. And, and I've, I've been very fortunate to have been with several folks um, at, at end of life. Um, and I've also been very fascinated with the life process ever since I was a child. Uh, and so, you know, this has really been a lifelong pursuit for me. And one of the things that you notice is that like pe most people typically die just freaky shit scared, hmm. horrified. They die horrified. Like they're, they're in complete and total terror mm -hmm. in the last moments of their life. And when I really sat with this for a while and I was thinking, I was perceiving just looking, um, it came to me fundamentally that these people never in their life really contemplated the fact that they were actually going to die. They never faced their mortality, as you were saying. They never, yes, they never faced their mortality. And since in some way, some place within them, there was, almost, there was an illusionary perception that death happened to other people, but it didn't happen to me. Hmm, interesting, interesting. Then, and so go ahead. facing your mortality would be breaking that illusion or, or what do you mean by facing your mortality? Yeah, facing, if you genuinely face your mortality, whatever illusions that you have built up for yourself, they all come crashing down the moment that death approaches you. Hmm. You know, especially, especially belief structures. You know, like if people were so confident in their beliefs of their gods or whatever, then everybody would be jumping off cliffs and bridges. Right. You know, but 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 no, <laughs> that's, that's a way to look at it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but nobody's jumping off cliffs and bridges because in their heart of hearts, somewhere in them, they know they do not know. Hmm. Interesting. And you would argue and, this because they've never taken the time to look inward and to question, but they just hold these false beliefs. Or not false beliefs, but they just hold these beliefs without really questioning them. Yeah, that would be that. That's been my experience of human beings mm -hmm. that they're just not questioning what they've downloaded. And and I think it's really neat when you look at uh, human babies. This idea of a human being, I said at the beginning, with memory, like we're just a bundle of memory. So we have we have evolutionary memory, which lets you and I know that we're a human being. Like I'm not a I'm not a snake. <laughs> right right okay. you know and I'm I'm not a horse I'm not a tiger mm -hmm. I'm a human being you know then we have genetic memory that genetic memory um says that I come from um a German Irish descent I believe I don't know I need to take if I really want to know I need to do a DNA test but you know at least according to rumors that I've heard floating around I think I may be of German uh Irish descent as to where somebody else might be of like you know uh African descent, like African, like Nigerian, you know, or Cameroonian, or somebody mm. might be of like Latin American descent or, you know, so then they have their genetic memory. As an example of this too, like you don't remember your great, 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 great grandmother, do you? Mm -mm. But her nose is on your face. I see. Right. You know, so this memory, this memory is playing out in your system and nature has certain 
we might want, we might think of them as like indwelling software, like, like a type of uh, pre-programmed software that's scheduled to go off like a timed released bomb, mm. you know? Uh, so, and this is part of that memory system. And then as that memory system kind of kicks in, uh, we start getting like new thoughts and new ideas. Like I always love the example of puberty. Like I, I, <laughs> <laughs> like be, before before puberty boobs and butts you had zero interest to me mm-hmm. <laughs> you know post puberty it's a whole new world she said oh my oh, gosh what is this world oh, we're living in <laughs> post puberty i was like Wait, like uh who wants who wants these little uh race car toys over here you know i've tried there's something way more exciting out here you know oh, to get into the so, mind of a boy oh yeah yeah and especially like once testosterone really starts to kick into your system and and you see it you see it in every like uh just speaking directly about the pubescent boy experience you know like (laughs) you you really do see it in young men they are a they start to become a completely different being once the hormone chemical of testosterone is introduced into the system now the thing is is like well, why wasn't that chemical just dumping into the body in a big way prior to this? Well, because there's some, there's some type of timed released memory hmm. that is set to go off once a human being, you know, kind of reaches a certain stage, you know, that, you know, and we call that memory our genetics, you know, and there are whole fields of study that are studying genetics. And then um, in science and Western science, now we call this uh, epigenetics or above mm. genetics, like the, uh, this whole field of study that is how we can actually turn on and turn off specific gene expressions based upon how we're thinking and feeling based upon the environmental um, conditions that we're exposed mm-hmm. to, which if you, it makes complete sense if you just view that over, over nature itself and consider how like a person could go from being say, an overweight person to a fit person. Are you, what's your opinion on the nature versus nurture discussion? Like, do you think people are like, I guess, yeah, to decipher if you think people are the way they are because that's their genetics or it's more so the factors in nature that determine. I, I really do think it's a combination of both. Okay. Right. And then it's not, and then not, and then there's an element of personal responsibility that I think should be added in there. So you, depending on what your nature or your, whatever, depending on what you were born with, you have the ability to change with the decisions that you make. Yes. I think human beings a hundred percent are gifted with the ability to choose their experience, not necessarily their situation. You want to go a little, sorry, you want to go dive a little deeper into that? Yeah. Well, so what happens within me is a hundred percent my making. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is a deep and very difficult uh, truth for many people to make peace with. What happens within me is a hundred percent my making. Yes. So. And so what ends up happening is 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 your whole language framing has to collapse, right? Like now, no longer can it be. Well, hey, you you you're making me angry. I see. This I is see. a false statement. 
That is a complete false statement. Nobody is making you anything. You are making yourself. Hmm. I'm not, I'm not discarding unpleasant situations. <laughs> that's, that's why I said experience. Uh -huh. But you can choose. There's a quote that I like is like, eh, the world is only our perception of the world. So I feel like it kind of relates here is like, you guess you choose how you react to a situation or you choose how you feel about that situation. Well, you you can you can choose your how your. Well, I, so the way you when you said that you can choose how you feel about a situation, and when you said that, it means that you have a specific set of memory and prejudices from which mm -hmm. you're viewing the situation from. I see. So you're going even deeper. Is like you want to unpack the memory and prejudice. Well, it's, I think. Well, from my experience, you're not going to be able to like completely disregard your memories and your prejudices, mm -hmm. right? But there is an element where you, um, you, you don't have to be pushed and pulled them by them, you know, like uh, you don't have to be pushed and pulled by the memories of your past or your personal likes and dislikes. In fact, like the more that you're not pushed by them, then the more free you are. And then the more your internal world becomes under, under your own control. Mm, interesting. And how, how would one go about controlling that? Because I mean, if you have a past bad experience, you know, it's, it's hard to just forget it, or it's hard to deal with it. Or what, what would you suggest? Yeah, well, you don't, well, you definitely don't want to forget it. Like I don't, in the same context, I don't want to forget that if I put my finger in a like socket, I get electrocuted. Like, <laughs> you know, like I don't right. want to forget that because I don't want to walk back into the same problems. I want to remember every damned betrayal, every tragedy, every heartbreak, every curse, you know, everything, every boon. I want to remember it all vividly. And then to the best of my ability, I want to unpack all of the experiences of my life in such a way that I'm mining them for data. I'm mining them for wisdom. Hmm. Interesting. You know, rather than looking at like stoicism to learn about life, I want to look at life to learn about life. I see. Learn from your own experiences. And I'll use stoicism or mysticism as mm -hmm. like guide points. You know, like, I'm like, okay, well, let me see. But then I have, you have to remember that that person is framing, they're, they're using language in an attempt to convey something that can't be conveyed through language. Hmm. I'm not sure I fully understand that. Well, so uh, have you, uh, do you speak any other languages? Uh, I'm getting almost fluent in Spanish. <laughs> We're close. Okay, so, okay, so but <laughs> Spanish isn't your native language, right? No. No, no, no. So you you have to learn how to associate new sounds in your head and give them new meanings. Like you're going through this process of associating new sounds with new objects. So you're overlaying a sound to an object. And then somewhere in your own mind, we make up the meanings about what those sounds mean, which is why, like, you know, we see street language. I see. I see. You so know, same, same sounds, completely different meanings. But who's making up the meanings, me or you? Well, together, right? I guess that would be my first reaction is together because that's how we communicate. Yeah, but the, the, the ultimate onus of the meaning is always on the individual on the inside. I can't, I, cannot di I can't dictate what meaning you choose to put on to something. Got it. 
Got it. So it's like what you, you know, like you could, you could want it to mean something differently than what I want it to mean. Mm-hmm. Understood. Understood. So language has this like limitation to it, verbal language. So when I'm reading or learning, I'm always trying to utilize words or let's say practices or techniques. I think of them as like arrows pointing to something. Hmm. Interesting. I'm always trying to discover the thing that they're pointing to. Like, what were they pointing to and why were they pointing to it? got it so you're not you're never taking anything as an absolute truth you're kind of looking at it you're saying oh here are the hints i don't want to try to figure out what they're saying and how does this relate to my experiences well would you say that absolute like any any form of absolute truth can it be found in anything that has the capability of changing no I would say no. No. So if you have a desire for absolute truth, you have to search for the changeless. And what is the changeless? That's what everybody has to go searching for. <laughs> right? do, you, but, do you think that you have found something that's changeless? <laughs> I would, I, you know, um, <laughs> I would say that I've been very blessed now to have had certain experiences that give me uh, they, they, they give me, um, they gave me the experience of something beyond physical nature. Hmm. Every, everything that is, that is physical is always changing. Mm-hmm. Even, do you know who Paramahansana Yogananda is? No. <laughs> Negative. <laughs> Paramahansana Yogananda was like, he's a famous yoga yoga person like in the yoga community he's he wrote an incredibly um influential book called the autobiography of a yogi in fact they handed the book out at steve jobs's funeral it was one of like it's a it's a really it's a really powerful book it's a great book it's one of the things that in that really like was like a pivotal book in influencing me into going deeper into Mm -hmm. yogic tradition and yogic process and in the book though like he'd been he'd been seeking God since he was a boy like little boy like it was his only life's passion according to the autobiography of yogi was to be a self-realized yogic master mm-hmm. and um you know he meets a guru uh, his guru and his um you know younger years and then this this guru um Sri Yukteswa sends him to California sends him to the United States to spread the wisdom of yoga mm-hmm. and uh, his first you know, a little bit of time here in the U.S., he's kind of welcomed pretty well. Like he's he's speaking for, uh, you know, major political figures and in big events and stuff. And he makes his way to Encinitas, California. This is his ashram is still there. You can go to it. It's really cool. I've been there. You <laughs> cool. should go. <laughs> but at some point in time, though, the narrative flipped. And um, all of a sudden, there were like major attacks on Yogananda, you know, him being brown, teaching this like, you know, meditation, devil worship stuff. You know, this is what newspapers were printing about. him. There were there was accusations that other monks were like having sex with white women, which was like, God forbid, you know, somebody, you know, like 
on a time period, you know, a little bit, it was a different time period culturally in the United States where, you know, cultures had a, a harder time integrating with one another, mm-hmm. you know, and the media at that time, the newspapers, they did not, you know, they were not very supportive then of Yogananda. And he, you know, he felt tremendous despair over this and he didn't, he couldn't understand for a little bit why he calls it the divine mother. Of, of creation he said he said he said he couldn't understand why the divine mother you know was keeping him in this place this as he would call it godless place where like they had no you know connection to spirituality or or going within like in in in, in india it's much more it's not like as exceptionally popular as we think it is in the west like because i i actually have this like really interesting thing that happens where a lot of young uh, Indian men and women will find me. Then hmm. they'll start studying with me. And then invariably they get reinvigorated about their own culture again. But at the time when they start studying with me, like they, they're not interested at all in their own culture. They're much more interested in American culture. Interesting. Yeah. So, hmm. but you know, like, so I, I, I feel as though this process of overcoming our inner limitations like it just keeps going mm-hmm. yeah you know, it's like a continual journey of- on a de- on a deeper level and as you like yogananda had to make peace with being hated hmm. and still be loved you know who else had to do this jesus jesus had to make peace with being hated and still be loving Mm-hmm. Buddha had to make peace with being hated and still be loving. All of the great saints eventually have to make peace experientially, which means you're most likely like there's a great story of Buddha uh, getting spit on in the face. And one of like Buddha's like major disciples was like, dude, you want me to take this dude's head off? Cause I will take this dude's head off right now. And Buddha just wiped the spit off of his face. And he was like, thank you. And the guy was like, what? And he's like, you gave me an opportunity to check myself to see if I was still capable of anger or not. Hmm. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. Keep in yeah. mind, Buddha, the Buddha lived like how, like he was a prince and his dad, because of like, you know, a little, ast- you know, astrological reading, his dad was worried that Buddha what his name was Gautama Siddhartha he was worried that he wouldn't want to be a king because there was this little astrological prediction that he was either going to be a great ruler or a sage and his dad wanted him to be a great ruler Uh so his dad showered him with riches and women and everything that you know that he could have ever wanted Mm -hmm. and then he had a series of experiences that shattered the illusionary world that he was living in And then he went seeking truth. And then he began yogic practices very intensely. And within a few year period, he had mastered, you know, certain like really intense yogic processes, but he had not fully realized the ultimate truth, the ultimate space, real, genuine, uh, what the yogis would call mukti or liberation, which is not just like freedom from suffering. It's it's something much deeper. Freedom from all bondages is what mukti means. Interesting. 
And so uh, freedom from all bondages, all bondages. Uh, and so he was um, doing a type of practice at the time where uh, they walk naked. Um, so they're naked and they walk and they'll only eat food that they're offered, that's offered to them. It's a type of wandering um, yogi called the Samana. And he became very emaciated and sickly. And he said, all this practice, all this sadhana, all this torture I'm putting myself through, if what I'm seeking is within me, it should be available to me now. He had this experience crossing a, crossing a river. Mm-hmm. And then he mustered up enough energy to get across the river. And he sat down under a tree with a certain resolve within him. He said, I, I will... I will sit here and become enlightened or I will die under this tree. Hmm. So the longing for the ultimate became more significant to him than his own life. Wow. Interesting. And this is, this is actually like for, for, for most, for most of the people who watch this or are going to be interested in yoga and meditation. Step one is, is, is make yourself pleasant. (laughs) Get healthy, get the body healthy, get the brain healthy, develop the ability to, to take care of your, your physical health and your internal well-being. Because until such time that you can't, what longing for breaking bondages can a person have until they're an exuberant, blissful being? Mm-hmm. Because if you're suffering, when you're suffering, you'll just long to be free from the suffering. Mm -hmm. Like when we are suffering, we just want to not suffer anymore. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So it's only when we become like really, really exceptionally exuberant and exceptionally pleasant that a longing for something else arises in the system. The Mm -hmm. longing for the ultimate arises in the system. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if you're blissful, will you do more things or less? More. <laughs> yeah. Maybe less. I don't know. Depends. <laughs> Depends on what your blissful state is. Most people, if they're blissful, they're going to do more things. They're going to take, because it's the fear of suffering that back. Right, right. I think if I'm blissful, I do less. <laughs> <laughs> I get very like, I get very like, oh, I need to do this, blah, blah, blah. But if I'm like calm and collected, then I'm like, okay with like relaxing and just like enjoying the moment. If not, I'm always like, ah, I need to do something. I need to climb. I need to work. I need to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's, that's true too. But I'm, I guess like um, maybe a better statement would be, would you give yourself a more variety life experience if you could be perpetually blissful? Yeah. You know, yeah. cause like you kind of activity and not be doing much at all exactly yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so i um yeah maybe that would be a better way of like kind of framing the language around it like you'd give yourself you know like if you're really blissful maybe you know you go see different places Mm -hmm. and you like really see them be present to them take them in to have the experience of that place or that person or that food or that song Mm -hmm. versus that thing being a mechanism to escape your suffering. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because like when as a mechanism to escape suffering, we still don't even get to experience the thing as it truly is, because in some ways we're using it to distract ourselves from a nagging suffering that is still there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like where where is this? What intention is this coming out of? Like fear or joy or whatever it is. But what's the intention of what you're doing? Yeah, and and you know that's why I think it's so important to be honest with ourselves to ourselves because you can bullshit the world but you can't bullshit yourself ultimately you know where you really are within yourself yeah true with that i i actually have to run what i was thinking is like while you're telling your story is i think that you have such a freaking superpower and unique opportunity right because you've experienced a lot of things that you've had right like even and i know you want to impact kind of the people in the hood or under in the poverty right like i mean what if you would create like a youtube channel or a content thing that has stuff that because like like other people who haven't gone through the same experiences have no idea what it's like right so like you have a unique ability to be able to relate to these people right and i mean if you make a youtube channel you get subscribers like there's just there's ways to monetize right there's a lot a lot of ways once you build up an audience and brand so i just think for you, I think it's a huge opportunity and it's an opportunity and like it's a mission that is sounds like you want to do and I think is super, super admirable, you know. Thank you. I'm going to I'm going to like totally execute on that. I think like the, if, if ever there's been an, a message from the universe for the last like few years for me, it's been make a YouTube channel. Like I can't tell you how many people tell me to make a YouTube channel and I have one and I've posted like a few little things, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I have dedicated as much energy to it so you know um i'm gonna do that i'm gonna dedicate more energy to it well look i'm um something i want to learn about a little bit more too so i mean we should you know catch up share resources because i think that's something i'm kind of looking to do so i would love to and i love i love talking to you i you know so hit me up anytime that you want okay katie sounds good matthew pleasure is awesome i'll talk to you soon (laughs) bye sweetie yeah nice meeting you Bye. And that concludes this conversation. Thanks for listening. Again, make sure to check out and subscribe on the website for cool exclusive stuff. So that's katiefreesen.net slash podcast. K-A-T-I-E-F-R-I-E-S-E-N dot net slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and I hope you have a fantastic week.